Thanks for downloading this podcast. podcast. It's for personal use only and must not be rebroadcast, reproduced or used in any form without permission. Tell your friends they can get their own copy by searching iTunes for Radio Le Mans or visiting RadioLeMans.com. The world's longest running motorsport magazine show, Midweek Motorsport. News, features, special guests and analysis from the experts. Formula One, sports car and endurance racing, rallying, touring cars and bikes. If it has wheels and an engine and they keep score, it's on Midweek Motorsport. Hello everybody, just after 8 o'clock here in the UK, which means it's time for another Midweek Motorsports Series 13. I reckon this is episode 35. I say that without any uh, real confidence, to be honest, because we've been doing things from all over the place in the last few weeks. However, interrupting his holiday to speak to us today is our executive producer, Tim Greer, who is, well, somewhere. I'm I'm not even going to say good evening, good morning. Hello, Tim. Hello, John. Right, excellent. Well, that worked. You don't know where I am, do you? No, I've got no clue. Uh, on air packed. Should, should we play a game of Where's Nick this week Exa- with Tim instead of Nick? With with Tim instead of Nick. Okay. Um, but for those of you who haven't listened to anything earlier than season eleven of this show, mm. uh, Where's Nick is a, sh- a little game we played where. We gave you clues and asked you to guess where Nick was. It was a regular well, occurrence, we, wasn't it? It was, because he was never in the same place twice. So it seemed to be, yes. Something to do so with the court f- orders, I think, but never mind. Moving on. The first clue, then, mm-hmm. for Where's Tim Tonight? I'm in a park. Right. That's it? That's all you're getting for the first clue. Right, OK. Well, before this bed runs out, then, on a packed programme tonight... Well, actually, you probably don't know, because... We're we a bit have fluid all the this evening. Well, yes, okay. We do have all the usual features, um, and possibly some guests. Yes, but possibly not. Uh, hopefully, some guests. Right. Uh, and some more questions for where's Tim? That we can definitely see. There'll, there'll be two more clues. Definitely two, more. two more clues. Right. Okay. Excellent. Excellent stuff. Uh, get your tweets in with the possible suggestions for those at uh, uh, at and he said at Imza Radio there at Specutainment see I I'm, I'm still don't know where I am alright let's crack on uh, have you got some papers to shuffle in this park I do excellent yeah. shuffle them now all the latest motorsport news from around the world midweek motorsport and the top story then is what well last week a website run by the brother of Ferrari chairman John Elkin, mm-hmm. published a story that Kimi Räikkönen was going to be replaced by Charles Leclerc. Yes, and that sparked a 20-odd thousand signature petition from Ferrari fans from the Tifosi. Oh, more than that. Really? I, I think last time I looked, it was up to 89,000. Really? Right, OK. Yes. Now, that website soon took down the story, but not before Gazette de la Sport uh, was able to run a story reporting on it. Uh, which was good for Gazette de la Sport because it meant that they were able to say that uh, Charles Leclerc was replacing Kimi without saying Charles Leclerc was uh, replacing Kimi because Gazette wouldn't want to do that because that would annoy Ferrari and Gazette wants Never to be on good terms that. with Ferrari. Correct. I see what you're saying, yes. 
So they then changed their story uh, so that it didn't say that Leclerc was going to Ferrari, but it also didn't say that he wasn't. <laughs> right. Okay. In fact, it didn't say much at all after that. Uh, back when Charles Leclerc uh, became a Ferrari junior driver, which I think was four years ago, mm-hmm. three years ago maybe, uh, he signed a lovely uh, contract with Sergio Marchione. Yeah. Which said that in 2019 he would uh, race for Ferrari. Right. So? So it was obvious that in 2019 he would be uh, racing for Ferrari alongside Sebastian Vettel. Mm. Uh, so all of this speculation about the the falling out with Vettel and Raikkonen is just that speculation and this was always going to happen. Kimi Raikkonen was told of this on uh, Sunday morning of the uh, Italian Grand Prix. Oh, was he really? Yes. <laughs> well, that, that puts a few things in context, doesn't it? Doesn't it? Right. Um, as you say, uh, Kimi supporters started a petition. In fact, it was a supporter in India who started the petition. Right. Uh, but he managed to get uh, nearly 90,000 signatures uh, so far. Um, some of them are quite vocal. One of them I'm wrote, sure. deals with dead men don't count. <laughs> That's very uh, Alan Partridge, that, isn't it? Uh, go, mm. go and look that up. Um, mm. right. Anyway, Leclerc is going to replace Kimi. It was First Monegasque driver to race for Ferrari? To race for Ferrari, probably, mm. yes. And for first driver, Ferrari Driver Academy graduate to go uh, to the senior team since the team was since the scheme was launched in 2009. Yes. Mhm. Right, okay. Moving on. So Kimmy's going to Sauber for 2 years. Yes. So if Nick was here, he would have said um He would have uh, questioned why. Well, he would have said he's gone for the money, wouldn't he? Yes. I mean, Kimmy really needs the money. He's got a personal wealth of a quarter of a billion pound dollars. Dollars. So, uh, mm. um, do you know what? I'm not sure that's the worst thing for Kimmy, or indeed for Sauber. There's no pressure on Kimmy there. Um, he can do his thing when he's good. He's very, very good. It just depends how motivated he is. Exactly. Now there are rumours in some Finnish newspapers mm-hmm. um, that. As part of this deal, Kimi will get shares in Sauber. Oh. But I'm not sure how that works, because as we know, Sauber is uh, 100% owned by uh, the Swiss company that isn't really Swiss, Longbow Finance. Okay. Uh, Now, do we remember what Longbow Finance is? No, Nick would remember if he was here. Longbow Finance shares an address... In Switzerland, right, uh, with a company called Tetra Laval. Right. Why do I know that? Uh, name? They make uh, cartons. Yes. They own the patent on cartons. Right. It was set up by a guy called uh, Hans Rousing. Right. Uh, back in the 1960s, mm-hmm. he's worth twelve and a half billion dollars. Right. Um, he's also on the board of Longbow Finance, along with his son Finn Rousing, who's only worth six billion dollars. And uh, Finn is also on the board of a company called Sports Pro. Right. 
This is getting uh, a bit convoluted already, Tim. I'm losing the will to live. Sports Pro's biggest shareholder is Longbow Finance. Right. Uh, but it's not the only shareholder. Right. Um, because Ramsbury Investment uh, is uh, another shareholder. You're burying that's the lead part- here, Tim. You're burying the lead. That's part owned by Carl Johan Persson. Yes. Uh, who is the CEO of H&M. This is like the longest game of Mornington Crescent ever. Look that one up as well. Moving and on. And mostly owned by his father, Stefan Pearson, who is the founder of H&M. He's worth $19 billion. As in H&M, the, the clothing company, the clothing retailer? Yes. Right, yes, Correct. okay, right, okay. I, that one I do know, yeah. So we, we have, if you think of big Swedish companies, yep. Tetra Pak and... H&M are the numbers big, one and two. The biggest, yes, correct. IKEA pales into insignificance when you look at the wealth of the people behind these companies. Right. Uh, the other uh, shareholder in SportsPro, though, is Allsbergs. Do you remember Allsbergs? Yes. Now, they've been on the side of a car before. They have. Well, they've been on the front of a lot of rallycross cars. Rallycross. They half-own uh, the uh, Allsbergs MSE rallycross team. Uh, which was set up by it's Andreas Eriksson. It's a town in Ericsson. Germany, Olsberg, but we're not talking about that. Set up by Andreas Eriksson, no relation to Marcus Eriksson, different right. spelling. Right. Um, they also sponsored Frederick Ekblom in Swedish touring cars. Right. Uh, Ekblom was the person who discovered nine-year-old Marcus Eriksson at a kart track. Ah. Now we're starting uh, to get in a little bit. And then said to his friend, Richard Dutton, this kid's really good. Right. And to his other friend, Kenny Breck, this kid's really good. Mm-hmm. Uh, so when we first met Marcus Ericsson back in 2007, yeah. uh, he was being managed by Kenny Breck uh, and running in a car run by uh, Richard Dutton. Right. And Right, OK. And Andreas Ericsson, who's the Oldsburg rallycross guy he's yep. a, a former rally champion though isn't he oh yes yeah yeah uh Allsburgs was the sponsor of uh, uh marcus ericsson in uh formula bmw and gp2 there you go that's where i've seen it i do watch single seaters sometimes right so he commentated on that formula bmw season yes so exactly right exactly right uh so Going getting to the point. Pro, so so this so in a, in a in a long and convoluted way, what you're seeing is this is the effectively a huge Swedish cabal that have yes. that have taken over, well not taken over, but are funding and behind the scenes of uh, Switzerland's uh, proudest Formula One team. Yes. Right. Okay. Um, they have taken control. I mean, one of. Uh, uh, Sports Pro's uh, board members is also the chairman of Sauber, for example. Okay. Uh, Sports Pro uh, used to own forty percent of a company called ME Promotions. Right. The other sixty percent of that company was owned by Marcus Ericsson uh, <laughs> and the no no three way people three people on the uh, board were Marcus Ericsson, uh, his father, and uh, Carl Johan Persson. Remember him? Oh yes. Him? Yes, yeah. yes. Come on, let's get a move on. So uh, that's that. I don't think there's any, anything more to so be said. So basically what yeah. you're saying there is uh, that Scandinavian guy's not going anywhere in that team. 
No. No. Indeed. Although he will deny any knowledge of, uh, of the ownership structure of Sauber or uh, where the money comes from. Right. Okay. Uh, any other Formula One news this week? Plenty. Right. Come on then. Right. Uh, do you remember that uh, Haas illegal car that Nick talked about last week, which was taken out of the uh, taken out of the results from Monza? Yes. Yes. Uh, well, they had until Thursday to launch an appeal. Yes. And they launched an appeal. Right. So the results uh, are provisional then. Which I believe is to be held this week, but I don't know when or where. Mm, okay. Um, it should be being held in Paris, but if everyone's on their way to Singapore, that might prove difficult, so it might happen next week. Can they not have it uh, in Singapore while anybody's there? Oh, don't be silly. Oh, no, because they'd need to go somewhere slightly, you know... Right, okay. It was a sixth place, wasn't it? It was sixth It was all about the floor. And the floor... It was all about the floor, yes. Uh, I had a tweet yesterday from Andreas Olken who said, uh, let me just find his tweet. Paris next week. Yeah, it says Paris next week. I'm looking at an, an article that says that. When was that written? Um, Could a hard knock on a curb yes, I damage saw that. the floor corner radius? If so, does this open up every car that strays over track limits into the same problem? No. Be- is it it's the, s- the simple answer. The complicated answer is... Still no. Uh, basically, the if you look at a Formula One car from underneath, yeah, the floor of the car, what's known as the T tray, yeah, uh, and the front edge of the plank need to be four hundred and fifteen millimeters behind the centre line of the front axle. Yes, I understand that. The front part of this floor needs to have rounded edges. A 50 millimetre radius plus or minus 2 millimetre on each front corner. Plus or minus 2 millimetres. This is the reference plane we're talking about here underneath the car. Yes, I understand that. So this is is quite simple and if you look at a car from underneath you can see this. And if you looked at the Haas earlier in the season you could see this quite clearly. What Haas did in Canada was uh, put some more little planes onto the uh, side of their car. How do you mean? Some you extra... know those little aerofoil type things? Yes. <coughs> oh, you all right? Yes, do... just choking a little. Oh, sorry. Try not to um, do that while we're on the air. Come on, it's very professional. So... Our arts, right, so, I, I, so it, it's not... it's moved them forward from yes. where they were previously. Yes. I see what you're you saying. You can't see that 50mm radius anymore. So, so what we're saying here is, it's not actually anything to do with the floor as such. It's to do with what they've done above the floor that takes the floor out of uh, compliance. Correct, you can no longer wow. see so the this front would, edge right, so if, if I put, yes, so if I put this in sports car terms, this would be like some somebody messing around with what we used to call the cheese wedge, the um, legality panel behind the back of the back wheels, which it means you can't. Uh, right, you, you're not allowed to see the back wheels. So leave the legality panel as is, but you move the wheels so the wheels moved out a bit or in a bit. Therefore, it overlaps that legality panel. Therefore, you can see it. The legality panel hasn't moved, hasn't changed in its construction or its design uh, or indeed its location. But the thing 
that it has to cover has moved, therefore it takes the whole thing out of compliance. I get it. Brilliant. Exactly. It's, it's the same scenario, but in reverse. Yes, exactly. Yeah, uh, I see what you're saying. Yep. So it wouldn't so, matter what it hit, because the no, floor, the um, floor uh, hasn't changed. Unless, unless hitting a curb repeatedly moved some bits of uh, side plane yep. forwards far enough. Yes. Uh, but if you were to go into that scenario, then the car would fail another uh, legality. I think we should say that's unlikely. That's very good, Tim. That's very good. I like that. Well, well, uh, uh, well researched. So why? Why are they appealing? Are they appealing? That's a well, good point. Well, they are probably appealing because uh, they want the results to become to stay provisional as long as possible for some reason. Well, yes, the. The first thing is that uh, up until Canada, their car was legal. It was only when they introduced these new side planes on in Canada that it became illegal. Yes. Um, so if they go back to the old side planes, the car will become legal again. Yes, but it'll be also be slower. Right. Uh, so they um, they introduced this new uh, bit in Canada. Uh, this was queried, uh, because they weren't the only team to do this, this was queried as a meeting of the technical working group. Mm-hmm. Uh, and after that meeting, it was decided that what they were doing was illegal and what the other team was doing was illegal. Dare I ask uh, who the other team was? We don't know. Uh-huh. It hasn't been announced. Right. Um, so uh, they were given until... Uh, Monza to uh, fix it mm-hmm. and make their car legal again, and uh, the FIA said we won't uh, we won't penalise you until Monza. Right. Uh, Haas's argument is that because just before the Belgian Grand Prix, which was only a week before Monza, was the three week gap where everyone had to not work, yeah. they didn't have time to develop a fix. Right. Got you. And that's the grounds for their appeal. Now, the reason it'll fail is that the other team did develop a fix in uh, the very short time uh, in the weeks leading up to the Belgian and uh, Italian Grand Prix. Are they then going to be protested for working on their cars during the three-week break? No, because they didn't. Okay. They just did it more quickly than Haas. Right. What you talk. <sighs> we have got. We've started off with two very convoluted uh, stories. So, yeah. Haven't we? Just? Right. Shall let's, we do, let's do an easy one next? Yeah. Let's let's do some quick some quick quick fire questions. You're listening to Midweek Motorsport Series 13, Episode 35. Tim is in an unknown location, but he's in a park. That's it. We'll have another uh, clue for where's Tim in a little while. But first, this. Uh, Nicky Lauda won't be returning to the Formula 1 paddock this year. I thought you were going to say not returning to Formula 1 there. I was going to say not really news that, but OK. Um, good good to know that he's feeling better. Uh, he was very poorly. Hours away from death, I think, was reported that we mentioned yes. on a programme of three or four weeks ago. So his recovery after... Was it a lung transplant? It was a liver had? transplant. All oh, right, okay. Liver transplant. Okay, I thought it was a lung transplant. I thought it was a lung transplant as well. Yes. Uh, I shall look that up. And so he's not coming back anytime soon, but that will no. he hope he will be. Uh, but uh, Helmut Marco said, uh, we all miss him. Mercedes misses him. Formula One misses him. Everyone misses him. Right. It is lung transplant. It was a lung transplant. It was a lung transplant. He's making good progress in a Vienna hospital. 
that he says everything's going well. We're very satisfied. Uh, two to three weeks, but uh, Lauda's recovery will be longer due to his age. Uh, apparently, however, and this was something that was on the Twitter at Speculatement, by the way, uh, 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 his doctor, uh, Doctor Klepetko, at the uh, hospital uh, in Vienna, uh, who's the head of thoracic surgery, Walter Klepetko, in the Arch Vienna Hospital. I just did that for you there, Tim. Did you like that? He said, uh, "I did." I uh, one can absolutely assume the lung transplant is not a late consequence of his fiery accident. So there we go. So uh, wish uh, wish Nicky well. Moving on, Sebastian Buemi. Yes, is he coming back to Formula One? Well, he, he's he's hinting, isn't well, he? We reported that he's that. actually left Formula One because he is still the uh, test driver for Red Bull and Toro Rosso. Yep. Uh, but he could be back in a race car for Toro Rosso next season. Uh, he's not saying anything though. Really? He's just dropping some big hints. Okay, uh, but he is on his way to Singapore right now, <laughs> right? Uh, because he has a meeting with uh, Franz Toast yeah. of Scuderia Toro Rosso, mm-hmm. uh, which we believe is going to take place ha- on Friday. And and, and Helmut he's... Marco, he's meeting with Helmut Marco as well. Oh, mm. and uh, and then he's. Uh, but Franz Toast fly- has said he told Blick earlier this week it's not planned that Sebastian will be used by this this year. Uh, used by Correct. us this year is what he said. Uh, but he's when g- he's not sticking around in Singapore for the race, Apparently he's uh, flying to a Formula E test on Saturday. Okay. Uh, what well, I, I presume what they're hoping is that it'll either motivate uh, Brendan Hartley um, or it'll break his resolve. I I don't know. I'm not sure how that would work because there are two seats available at Toro Rosso next year and uh, Hartley and Boemi are the only two drivers who seem to be in the frame for them. Right. Um, Marco, Helmut Marco uh, at pains to say his contracts in other series and Toyota were always in the way of a comeback. I'll let Tim get a quick drink of water before we get him back while I remind you. Uh, keep the tweets coming in. Thank you very much indeed, yes. Yes, that was very convoluted at the top of the show. Our, uh, well, what do you expect? We had to assemble something that was Swedish. It's always going to take time. And we had bits left over at the end, uh, which was uh, very good. Yes, very good uh, from a number of uh, of correspondents today. Uh, Tim Gray is still with us. Where are we going next, Tim? Have you had a quick drink? We're going to Miami. Yeah. Ooh. Uh, bienvenidos a Miami, as um, yes. was once said in a song. Yes. By Will Smith, although he didn't sing the Spanish bits. No, indeed. Uh, the F1 Miami Festival. <laughs> right, it's gone from a Grand Prix to a festival, has it? Well, this is this year. This is this is this is to prepare them for Formula One. Right. Much as uh, the uh, F1 Marseille Festival prepared them for uh, the French Grand Prix in Paul Ricard. Right. So it happened. It starts on October the seventeenth. Runs for four days. Right. Uh, and uh, a spokesman said, we're still finalising the details. We don't have the details yet, but there will be a car. A car? Yeah. Mm. Okay. <coughs> oh, dear, Tim. Hang on, we'll just let Tim get his breath back. Uh, this is down at the port of Miami. Um, and... Uh, 
Sean Bratches has said at a number of occasions, but most recently, we're committed to the expansion in the US and Miami in particular will be bringing our fantastic sport to this iconic city in October with a Formula One fan festival where we look forward to engaging and exciting fans. Sorry, where we will look forward to engaging and exciting fans, not Anyway, it doesn't matter which way you read. <laughs> um, he, he also it's says, adjective. "Yes, indeed, exactly. You got what I was saying with that." There, um, we've always said that we wouldn't compromise on delivering the best possible race for the people of Miami, our fans, and the 1.8 billion people around the world who watch F1 globally. Uh, if it meant waiting until 2020, it was far more preferable. Now, wait for this: far more preferable than signing off on a suboptimal racetrack just to do a deal. I think uh, we found out where Ron Dennis is gone. He's been writing press releases for uh, Formula One. Uh, moving on, Tim. Uh, one more quote regarding uh, Miami. Mm-hmm. And this is from Itai Benosh, the treasurer of the Biscayne Condominium Association. Excellent. Was there any approval of this event by the City Commission? Can anyone just decide to close the road for a high-speed race? <laughs> and so it begins. <laughs> oh, dear. Very good. Very good. It's already in trouble, isn't it? It's already in trouble, and they will be vociferous. I have no doubt. We should next time we've got Sheon, we'll ask her about the area of the town that is, and uh, how significant the uh, public voice might or might not be. Um, I'm just wondering what Shay's uh, planning to do on August seventeenth, eighteenth, nineteenth, and twentieth. Well. Might have to send her along. Yes. Okay. Seems reasonable. Let's see. Let's see how close we can get to a car. Yes. A moving car. Do we think it's moving? There, there might be other stationary ones. Okay. Oh, it's going to do runs up a six hundred ninety meter stretch of the boulevard. Oh, excellent! How lovely. That's going to be loud and larry. Uh, all good stuff. Is that it for Formula One? Yeah, we're going back to Formula E now. Oh, good. Can't wait. Uh, because. Uh, HWA, yes. uh, the DTM team, yeah. is uh, going to be running in Formula E this season. Right. The, so they must have and taken on an, a, an existing franchise, have they, or partnering with someone? Uh, don't ask me how that works. Um, uh, they're partnered they're up with some the, drivers. All right, no, they're, they're par- partnered with Formula E ahead of Season 4. So um, they now have decided they're going for their own team in Series 5 with the right. Gen 2 car. Okay. Right. Excellent. Uh, so they're looking for some drivers. Right. And uh, the indication is that it will be Pascal Wehrlein. Right. And Gary Paffett. Oh. Okay. Interesting choice. All right, so hang on. So this is an in addition to Von Turi, or yes. A, so it's an extra, extra so, cars. So these are extra cars. Okay, because <coughs> um, Von Turi had uh, Eduardo Motara and Maro Engel, didn't they? Uh, at one stage, I seem to remember that. Um, never mind. Uh, all right. Uh, uh, Formula Three. Right. All right, so, so they were in this year. They were in for... I see, right, okay. They're, they're, they're just looking for new drivers. Right, Formula 3, go on. Uh, Mick Schumacher uh, won all three races. Yes. Uh, Nürburgring. Yes, he did. Very impressive. Mm-hmm. Um, 
there didn't appear to be a huge amount of overtaking. Right. Um, obviously, uh, starting from pole in race two. Did you see any? Of the, uh, sorry, just to, just to, while we're talking about formula, did you see any of the Formula Three that was with DTM at the night race um, that no, virtually ran in the dark? It was extraordinary because the whole day was pushed back so that uh, DTM could run in the dark with lights, by the way, on Formula One car, on Formula uh, DTM cars. DTM cars, yeah. yes, they have lights. Yes, well, yes and no. Um, not stickers like some cars. No, I know, but they did actually have lights on. It looked pretty cool, actually. Um, but it meant that the uh, F3 ran at sort of 7.30, 8 o'clock at night. Uh, in Central Europe, and it was getting, it was overcast that day. In fact, it had, it, one of the races, it rained actually quite hard, and so it was pretty dark. So they were running, effectively running under lights. It looked brilliant, absolutely brilliant. Anyway, sorry, go back. I meant to mention that the other week, and then I forgot about it. Go on, carry on. That that moves him up from sixth to fourth in the points. Right. And he's only three points behind Dan Tictum, who's third. Mm-hmm. And rumours are that Schumacher will move to Formula 2 next season right. with ART. Okay. Shall we uh, quickly move on to two wheels, or are you not finished with four Yes, because someone else won three races at the weekend. Really? Yes. Oh, I was ready to go with... Ah, right, you're going with British Superbikes. I am. He continues to lead the championship uh, as we go into the showdown. Right. Is that like the race for the chase for the cup for the quest for the thing? It's exactly like the race for the chase for the cup for the quest for the thing. Excellent. Uh, but at the start of the weekend, it was looking unlikely after a crash in Friday's practice session left him in the medical centre with a suspected broken ankle. Oof. Yeah, uh, obviously didn't start in the best way, but um, it's been awesome. You know, uh, not only the wins, but also the battles. Um, you know, every race there was so many people in the mix and, you know, it wasn't like, say, normally when you're in a race, you can plan it, you know, save your tyre, go for the last five laps. But, you know, uh, all three races for me, were, there was no real plan. It was just trying to put yourself in a good place and, and have a go when you could. And, um, you know, Taron's been riding awesome all weekend, you know, battling with Josh, with obviously Brad and Jake. You know, it's every so many different people. And obviously Glenn also in, in the first one. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's been one of them weekends that, you know, I'm just smiling. Um, obviously because of the wins, but also just because the battles, you know, it was really good fun. We're down to the uh, showdown now, so I don't even know what the points lead is, but that's gone. And uh, we start again at Alton. Um, obviously, we've got a little bit of an advantage with the podium credits, but, um, you know, it's BSB, anything can happen. And uh, it only takes a little bit of bad luck, and, um, you know, it'll all be square. And like I said, there's so many people in the mix. Um, We've just got to concentrate on ourselves, keep doing what we're doing, and uh, hopefully we can um, hold it all together. Uh, he's joined in the top six, uh, who've all had their points reset, of course, by Jake Dixon, Josh Brooks, Bradley Ray, Glenn Irwin, and Peter Hickman, who secured the final showdown spot with a 19th-placed finish in the final race on Sunday at Silverstone. Uh, which was magnificent. Did you see any of the shots of the guys drifting the bikes at 100 and lots no, of miles an hour? No, not seen any of that. Oh, man! Do you know what? I honestly think that the BSB guys went out there deliberately to put a show on to, to show up the MotoGP riders. I really do. Oh, oh absolutely. It was They're out- talking about resurfacing that circuit. Oh, it was outstanding. If you haven't seen it, it's all, it's been all, there was a Honda uh, um, clip that went out. Um, if you haven't seen it, you've got to look at it. Um, it was uh, it was unbelievable. I can't remember who it was who was on the bike now, so I apologise for that. But I, I saw it when I was away, 
in uh, in the States. And I think they were doing 135, 140 miles an hour, drifting the bike sideways. And they looked at the data and the back wheel was doing 35 or 40 mile an hour more than the front wheel because he was spinning it up so much. He was just outstanding. Absolutely outstanding. Uh, where's the first round of the... The showdown. You have to say it like that, don't you? The uh, showdown. Yes. The showdown is uh, seven races across three events. Uh, Alton Park, Assen and Grand Hatch. Ooh. So there's two each at Alton Park and then the triple header in October at uh, Brands Hatch to finish off the season. Moto- do we do MotoGP now? MotoGP, yes. Go on, uh, fire. Mizano. Yeah. Didn't, I, I'm sorry, but uh, I didn't see any of it, but I know who it. won. I know and who won, obviously. Andrea Dovizioso won. By nearly three, three seconds. Three in a row for Ducati. Mm-hmm. And his third of the season. Mark Marquez was second, though, so he extends his uh, championship lead even more. Good finish for Cal Crutchlow in third, though. Yes. Uh, but all the headlines from the weekend came in <sighs> Moto2. Grr. Now, I did see that because, again, that hit social media. Um, uh, this is... Uh, what was his name? Romano... Romano Fanati. Yes. Romano so he Fa- grabbed Fanati. the handbrake yes. of uh, uh, Stefano Manzi. Yeah. Uh, and uh, was black flagged and subsequently given a two-race penalty. Is that enough? Is what everybody's asking. That was what everyone was asking. Up until the point when uh, his team decided to sack him. That's the uh, Marinelli Snipers team decided that uh, that wasn't the sort of thing that uh, uh, they wanted in their team. So uh, it won't just be uh, Hereth and Buriram that he misses, uh, but all of the rest of the season. Uh, Uh, But next year, he was uh, due to switch to the Envy Augusta team. Are they still going to take him, or have we not heard yet? Uh, Giovanni Castiglione. Oh, well done. boss of Envy Augusta. He said... It won't happen. He doesn't represent our company's true oh, value. Good, good for them. I, I did see a tweet from, I think it was one of our collective, um, and again, apologies, but it was very busy on on the tweetage over the weekend at uh, at WeatherTech Raceway Laguna Seca. Um, but I did see the, somebody saying, when I was sitting in one of the airports I was in on Monday, uh, um, a time for him now to uh, declare that it's all down to his fiery Italian heritage, say that he's always wanted to, to uh, race formula cars and move to IndyCar uh, for someone to take him Absolutely. on there, which made me laugh, laugh sure a lot. Deal coin, uh, yeah. Uh, Fanati and Ferrucci. Yeah. Romano was it Ferrucci? No, it wasn't Ferrucci, was it? It was yeah. Ferrucci, yes, Santino Ferrucci. Ferrucci. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Uh, Romano Fanati, though, uh, this morning uh, in an interview with Gazette, uh, no, not Gazette, in an interview with La Repubblica, mm-hmm. has announced his immediate retirement from motorcycling. Oh, so I might not be that far off the uh, the mark then. Um, so he's apologised in the Italian press, and uh, was it a proper uh, um, uh, apology, or was it a bit mealy mouthed? It's a proper apology. Okay. Um, although it did include the line, he attacked me three times and could have killed me too. Mm. 
because uh, Manzi wasn't entirely blameless and has been given a sixth place grid penalty oh, uh, really? for the next race, which is now oh. Sorry about that. Didn't expect to uh, hear that coming through. My apologies, Tim. Sorry, say that again. Uh, let me just get. I hear things that have automatic startups on them. Uh, nope, can't get rid of that. Um, so I will just take it out. Sorry, Tim. Go ahead. He wasn't entirely bl- blameless. Uh, Mansley wasn't entirely blameless. He picked up a six-grid, uh, a six-place grid penalty, uh, which he will take at Aragon, which is the next race, not Jerez, as I said earlier. Right. Uh, didn't I mean he's he's been pinged before for kicking somebody on a bike, hasn't he, Fanati? He has quite a long list of uh, previous infractions. He knows that he is hot-tempered, and he even has a clause in his contract. Mm. Uh, saying he can walk away from the sport at any time without penalty. <laughs> right, OK. Uh, you're listening to Midweek Motorsport. My goodness, the, that first half hour and more has rattled through quickly. Uh, Tim, is it time for your second Where's Tim clue? I think it is, isn't it? Let, let's do another clue, shall yeah, we? Yeah, let's do another clue. So the first one is, he's in a park. That wasn't very helpful. Yes. And nobody's got anywhere near... Lots of parks being mentioned, um, some of which... Um, come with uh, various suggestions which can't go out on the radio. So move on. Uh, second clue, obviously, uh, lunchtime obviously. earlier. I had a picnic. You had a picnic. You're in a park and you had a picnic, right? You said lunchtime earlier. So that gives yes. it, that gives it, well, you know. Um, that That means I'm not in the Pacific Ocean. Right, okay. If you were... At this stage of the game, at getting on for 20 minutes before nine, that's only 20 minutes to one on the Far East course, which everybody knows you were there last week or the week before, should I say, on your way there. So you're not that far over, is what we're seeing now. That's what I'm hearing. I might not even be in that country. Oh. Oh. Right. Okay. Okay, so he's in a park and lunchtime earlier... Notice he said that he had a picnic. I I don't think anybody's going to get a picnic in the park. Oh, 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 hang on. I think I think I might have an an idea. Hang on. I'm just going to type something on the the notes. I've just typed something to Tim and see if he can you see that that I've just typed to you. I, I can see that. It's not that. Oh, is it if not? If I was in that park, uh, I wouldn't have had a picnic. I'd have had a cake. That, that, well, yes, and you left it in the rain. Okay, yes, yeah, okay. You, I, but you see where I was going with that. All right, yes. you're listening to... Where do, where do you want to go next, Tim? Uh, I want to stay with MotoGP. All right, fire away. Uh, because we now have the provisional MotoGP do calendar we? for 2019. Oh, you do like a calendar, don't you? I, I love a calendar. <laughs> yes, you do. Uh, it starts, uh, as always, in Qatar. On the 10th of March. Right. Uh, Argentina. Mm-hmm. Dish Network? Sorry, just had to. Obviously. Yes. Uh, Argentina, um, Cota, uh, Jerez, Le Mans, Mugello, Barcelona, Assen, the Saxon Ring, Bruno, Spielberg. So no surprises Stone, is what you see. Mizano, Aragon, Chang, Mategi, Phillip Island, Sepang. And uh, finishing in Valencia, the circuit Ricardo Tormo. So literally, no, nothing new then? Nothing at all. 19 new, races, no. no new tracks, 
Uh, but plenty in capital letters to look forward to, according to their Absolutely. website. Uh, where's the evening race? There's only one evening race. That's at Qatar, at Losail yeah. again. Um, where's the one nearest my birthday? Oh, Phillip Island. Excellent. You can go there. I, I doubt it very much Probably indeed. Can't, I doubt it. usually happens around other Limon, stuff. Is it? Hmm? Is it Petit Le Mans weekend? Your birthday, no, it's after usually. Petit normally. But, after, the week after, is it? But that is going to be that's going to be close to Bathurst One Thousand, <gasps> back to back Bathurst One Thousand and Phillip Island well, MotoGP. They usually are right. The year that Johnny and I went to the Bathurst One Thousand, we then went to MotoGP the following weekend. All right, let's crack on. Uh, that's not the only calendar that was announced, and right. this one has some surprise. Well, <laughs> not surprises, but some changes to it. Go on. This is the IndyCar calendar. Ah, now, yes, I'm pleased. You, I was just about to say there when you mentioned uh, a certain circuit uh, that I, I'm pleased I didn't jump in then with that. So, fire away. Sorry, my ears just fell out. So, uh, well, I presume I presume you made your ear, your uh, um, earphones, not your ears yes. itself. Yes. Uh, so it starts in St. Petersburg, as we'd expect. Yeah. Then we go to the Circuit of the Americas. Yes, but we don't know on what circuit yet because they're talking about making some changes to it. Yes, that's March the twenty fourth, so the week after Sebring. Oh, so that uh, means then... the St. Peters before Sebring. Yes. Imza. Right, okay, yeah, okay. Uh, then Alabama. Barber. Barber Motorsports Park. Long Beach. April 14th, sharing with in Imza. Yep. Uh, then the Indianapolis Grand Prix. Ahead of the 103rd. Which is the Imbler. road course. Yeah, ahead of the 100. Then the 500. Yeah. That's May the 11th, May the 26th. Double header at uh, Belle Isle, June of course. June 1st and 2nd. And and uh, then straight on to Texas Motor Speedway the following straight week. Straight to Texas, because Detroit to Texas in six days is not impossible at all. No, really. Uh, Two-week gap then to Road America. Yes. Because obviously from uh, Detroit uh, to Elkhart Lake, uh, Texas is an obvious midpoint. Yes. Moving on. Uh, Toronto. Yep. Iowa. Yep. Uh, Mid-Ohio. Pocono. Gateway, Portland, and finishing on September the 22nd at WeatherTech Raceway, Laguna Seca. Yeah, so March the 10th to September the 20th. Ah, yes, of course, because it's ba- as we were talking about um, with the new general manager of WeatherTech Raceway, um, Monterey Grand Prix. Now, that is, I think, the week after IMSA, September the yes. 22nd. So that's another big double header. Um, and it was a condition of the contract that they had to have the IndyCar race within a week of the IMSA race. Really? Yes. Wow. It means it clashes with the Jazz Festival, of course, which might be a problem, because that's a big Jazz Festival. But anyway, let's move on. Um, so, so, having added Portland this year, uh, we now add, which is September the 1st next year, we now mm-hmm. add Monterey Grand Prix at Laguna Seca and uh, Circuit of the Americas. I think the Circuit yes. of the Americas one is interesting, particularly at that time of year. That's that's quite early in the year. It um, is, but it's not going to be too hot. No, 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 no. That's that's what I'm saying. That's good. It's not going to be too hot. Um, it'll be interesting to see if it draws a crowd and, and on what circuit there is. 
Yes. Obviously, looking to say replacing Sonoma. Yes. Same area of the world. This weekend. For the finale uh, of which more later? Yes. Do you want to go on to that uh, now, actually? No, I want to do some more Circuit in the Americas news. All right, go on then. Uh, because I said it's a press release. Have they? And you'd have thought that in, uh, Just to in us. a week, in a week <laughs> where, probably, in a week where they get a IndyCar race and uh, have their position on the MotoGP calendar confirmed, mm-hmm. they would uh, want to shout about all the good things happening at Cota with calendar news. Circuit of the Americas announced today that in addition to headlining concerts by international superstars Bruno Mars and Britney Spears... <laughs> yeah. Do I need to continue? No. No, not at all. Not at all. Uh, outstanding. Almost as good as the... We've put the third wall up. No, we've got three walls now of our press Three walls room. in our media centre. Yes, excellent. Uh, among the other... Uh, Musical act is a 16 year old local rapper called Love Sad Kid. Mm. Speaking of interesting press releases, did you see uh, on your travels um, the press release for Silverstone about the new hotel on the start finish line opposite the wing? Yes. And did you see the graphic that went with it? Yes. With uh, the bright orange car well off track limits. Did you also see the other? Um, one with the cars parked on the start-finish line, and I think it was a BMW, a white BMW on the left. Right. Have a look at the suspension on that car. Okay, I didn't say that one. I didn't say that one at all. I also saw the footbridge, which is more exciting for anybody who's had to park one side of the wing pits and walk all the way around or get a bus all the way around to the other. Yes, now you'll be able to walk straight into the uh, Hilton. Into the Hilton Hotel and across, or maybe not. Um, maybe that'll be for guests only. But what it does do, and this is actually quite serious, takes up an important part of real estate on the front street. Is there still going to be a grandstand there? Possibly. Mm. Or possibly well, obviously not. all those rooms overlooking the uh, circuit were balconies. Well, that, sometimes the, those uh, those rooms overlooking sporting events, and, and this is not the only place that has a hotel that overlooks a sports ground, a stadium, if you will, or a venue, let's say. They have very There's specific... one very close to Nick Damon. Uh, yes, there is. Milton Keynes Dons has a hotel. Um, I was looking at, I was watching Test Cricket a couple of weeks ago, the Aegeus Bowl down on the south coast of the UK, near your old stomping ground at Southampton, has a hotel yes. there with balconies. Now, you have to check out of those rooms very early. If you're staying in the, in those rooms, there's a clause that says at the Aegeus Ball at that hotel, you've got to be out by nine o'clock in the morning. Wow. Now, what I don't know is what happens if you've booked through. So, you know, if, well, I'm not checking out. I'm staying here tonight as well. Yes. Um, so so maybe the, you can sit on your balcony. Yes, maybe you can. What happens at the Nürburgring? Because the Dorint at the Nürburgring, which that's a good question. isn't open all year round. That's another question I want to know about the Hilton. Is it going to be open all year round? Hmm. Um, that's a good question. Um, I've never had a room there that overlooked the track. My rooms always overlooked the car park and the, the road outside in the early years when we stayed there. Although, in fairness, one of the great things that that Dorrent has at the at Nürburgring Grand Prix circuit, which is on the final corner, for those of you that don't know, um, it 
um, all of its TV or its TV system is linked into the closed circuit TV and the timing at the track. Oh so yes, you can look at timing screens from your room and all of the closed circuit TV. Yeah, it's because it, the very first year that we were there in two thousand and seven, um, uh, we didn't do full coverage that year, and I woke up in the middle of the night because it was quiet, and I thought, right, I'll put the telly on over the start finish line, and see what's happening, and I put the telly on on the start finish line camera. And there, there was no you television could see nothing pictures. Nothing but fog. Well, that was the thing. I thought, oh, the television's gone down, so I flicked to another channel. No, that camera's not working. That camera's not working. So I went and opened the curtains and realised I couldn't see the car park. It was so foggy, and everything, of course, had stopped. So there we are. Uh, where to next? Uh, well, while we're talking about IndyCar, <laughs> well, yes, which okay. we weren't really, but nope. we kind of were with calendar news. Yep. Uh, what we should have talked about last week mm-hmm. when I wasn't on the show yep. because you filled it with uh, your Porsche indulgence. Yes, it was very good. I enjoyed that a lot. Go on. I could tell. Yeah. Good. I think some of the listeners enjoyed it too. Yes, I think the majority did. Moving on. Uh, I went to Portland. Yes, you did. For a bit of IndyCar. For a bit of IndyCar and lots of support races as well. I saw three champions crowned. Yeah, very. that was the uh, last event in what, what would be known as the Manda, Mazda Road to Indy, presented by Cooper Tyres. Cooper Tyres stay on, as we documented a couple of weeks ago with uh, Jeremy and the very excellent piece from Tony Dezino. Um, that association has ended. Uh, now, I've never been there before, but I've always wanted not? to go. Okay. And... I've been waiting for a major event to happen there so that I could go there. Mm-hmm. Um, and it did not disappoint me at all. No, no. Um, the, the, the racetrack's pretty good, although it hasn't changed a lot even since we were there. Jeremy was saying, wasn't he, a couple they, of weeks ago? They have reprofiled Turn 7. Yes, I noticed that when I watched the coverage. Uh, what did you think of, of the area, though? The Pacific Northwest is lovely, and Portland's a great city. Portland's is very, very nice. Mm. Um, and... One thing that Port, the PIR said was, do not drive to the track. Oh, really? Because there is nowhere to park. Um, but plenty of people did try to drive and got stuck in queues of traffic for wow. hours and hours. That's interesting. Uh, even though, uh, as you know, there is a uh, tram stop yep. just outside the track. Yeah, there is. Uh, with trams running every couple of minutes to the city centre and... Uh, it goes north to the expo as well, where um, there is some parking. Uh, and it's also quite well served with buses. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I used buses to get from my hotel to uh, to the track each day. Uh, and on Sunday, because obviously bus services on a Sunday not always no, same schedules during the week, mm-hmm. they laid on extra buses. Right. Uh, so the bus driver I had uh, taking me to the track on Sunday morning uh, was doing the route for the very first time. Ah. D- d- uh, uh, is that a prelude to didn't quite read the road book correctly? Oh, no. Uh, we were able to point her in the right direction because obviously we'd done the journey before. Oh, excellent. Um, but disappointingly, there were only three passengers on that bus, and most of the buses seemed to be empty because no one in Portland seemed to have uh, paid any attention yes. to the please use uh, these buses and trams that we've put on. Um, 
and uh, instead decided that they'd sit on a bridge for three hours. Yes. Yes, very good. Very good indeed. Right. So uh, hopefully go on. That, uh, that will educate people for next year. Yes. Uh, same time of year, as we mentioned in the IndyCar news. Uh, we'll have more on IndyCar in the second part of the programme. Un- un- uh, unless, shall we do that now? No, let's do it in the second uh, part okay. of the programme. Well, we might have Jeremy Shaw to do it. Yes, hopefully. Uh, Jeremy will join us. Still waiting for news from Jeremy. He's on a very different time zone uh, to because us, Because the of other thing about Jeremy, of course, is mm. that this week we're expecting to find out who the two winners of the... <laughs> Team USA scholarship will be. Oh yes, I don't. I wonder if he was de- he was deliberating and cogitating and other stuff uh, when I was talking to him at the week. He, he did tell me it was very very close and that the guys had a fabulous fabulous uh, shootout at it was at Road Am- Lake. Yeah, Road America on the short circuit, um, which Jeremy hadn't seen in action before, and I'd only actually driven. A, a couple of days beforehand on a bit of Forza uh, on the uh, on the Xbox, and I wasn't sure and it that rained. Uh, it rained for part of it. Well, let Jeremy it tell that story. The whole of the first day. We'll let Jeremy tell the story. He, uh, it, it sounds like it was very very competitive indeed. He's got a good bunch this year for for Team USA. Uh, shall I give another clue? That would be your third and final clue, unless you decide nobody's got anywhere near it. By the way, you're in a park, and earlier for lunch you had a picnic. So let's have another yes. clue on where's Tim. I've seen lots of people. Oh, come on. But, but <laughs> I haven't seen a girl called Hannah. Got to be honest, Tim, I'm not sure that's very helpful. Uh, more from Tim Gray in a little while. He was talking about me being at Brands Hatch last weekend. Let's pay off that. We had Nick Tandy on last week's show talking about the 919 Hybrid Evil. I wasn't able to catch him after his final run. Just how close did he get? It wasn't really what they were planning for, but just how close did he get to the outright fastest time ever on the Brands Hatch Indy Circuit? I caught up with him last Thursday at Porsche of Monterey and asked him that very question. Well, I, I understand the fastest ever lap in its current configuration was a 37-0. Right. In IndyCar qualifying, right, Mr. Paul Tracy. And uh, obviously we weren't recording our lap time, so I've got no idea how close we were to that. But I'm pretty sure we were quite far away. Mm, I'm, not sh- I'm not sure about <laughs> that. There was a number of marshals who had time. We were much closer to the, to the actual lap record, race lap record. Yes, which is about a 30-year-old is what I've been told, yeah. Yeah. obviously. Um, what do you come away with after that? What's the... What's the takeaway from that? Was your first experience of the the 919 Evo? You'd literally not sat in the car before Sunday morning. No chance to test. No time time for familiarisation. And I have to tell you, by the way, I wish I'd had a camera when you first got out. You were <laughs> shaking with enjoyment after that first run, and you, you warmed to your task. I have to say. But what do you what do you take away from it after after those what three four runs? I mean, it's it's three it was three runs of about six laps, so it's very difficult to get in to the kind of the swing of things but what I was able to do was maximize the thing out on the straights and obviously you know even the straighter brands is not particularly straight but we were able to um it's the first time I've ever been on the boost button <laughs> if you like the manual boost which uh, which controls the hybrid system have that on the, for the full straight 
So wherever we've been and have your full 12, 1300 horsepower from the minute you go on throttle to the minute you, you hit the brake. Did you ever use the DRS? Yes, in the very last run. <laughs> you got brave. <laughs> I got brave and, um, and actually even at the small kink crown Clark curve by the, um, you know, where the pit straight is, I was trying to switch it on earlier and earlier, but actually when I when I engage the DRS, the car, it starts moving. So you really... So it becomes counterproductive at that point. Well, it, it was okay because I was still able to stay flat out, obviously, but it, it shows just how much downforce the thing's creating, even when you, you, know, you lift the, the rear flap and the, the DRS system, that uh, you, you feel the loss in downforce. But obviously then that's because it's losing drag as, as well. But we did, we, I, I did have a sneaky look at the top speed, and, and, and we made 308 k's, which I believe is about 192 miles an hour. Into Paddock Hill Bend? Into Paddock Hill Bend. Now, you started off... Breaking very early, of course. <laughs> no, not <laughs> at all. I watched you for one of those sessions, even before the last one. Um, you started off going down from 6th to 5th. You ended up, you were in 7th, down to 5th. Yes, correct. So you, were, you, you started to lean on it. On the, as on much the, as you can, yeah, as much as I can. That was that was the thing. It was I, I wanted to go as fast as possible, obviously, to show the people that were there to watch what the car's capable yeah. of. Um, but it wasn't the full fat attempt at trying to go quick around the lap. We didn't have optimal tyres. We right. didn't have um, all the cars settings set for Brands Hatch. Um, things like this. The ride heights were super safe to make yeah, sure yeah, we could yeah. move around the paddock and blah blah blah. So. Uh, yeah, it wasn't optimal, but I wanted to go as quickly as possible. And it, for Have me, you seen for any me, of the video yet? Quick as well. Have you seen any of the fan video? Uh, I've seen bits and pieces from people it, trackside. Yeah. It looks extraordinarily <laughs> quick. Yeah, it felt quick inside. <laughs> I must admit. How long is it since a racing car felt properly quick like that for you? Because I mean, you're just used to speed. That's your job. Yeah, I mean, honestly, it's. I, there was times when you were out of the the nine one nine, say for a couple of months between races or between tests or between seasons and you get back in the car and you'd perhaps go out the pit lane and you know the, the boots would kick in and you think my god this is I've forgotten just how fast this thing is so it's it's one of those sort of things it's uh, yeah it, it, it takes your breath away for sure even even coming out of Druids you know we're, we're so, the, the slow corner at yeah, the top yeah. of the hill you're so traction limited but yeah. but then you, you know you're fully in four-wheel drive mode and the t the traction control is working on the front axle and the rear axle but when it straightens up and fires out of, out of druids in second gear and you're up to you, you know you're what were you taking bottom bend out then the, the left-hander at the bottom of the hill was that um, fourth gear or third i wasn't looking to be honest but probably third right <laughs> but the way it, it, it picks up speed down the hill yeah, yeah, you yeah. shift from second to third fourth bit, it was like you're pulling gears as quickly as <laughs> and while still trying to hang on to the boost button on the other side of the steering wheel and yeah, it was uh, it was a lot of fun. The car's got one more public outing. It's here at uh, WeatherTech Race. We're going to take it for Rensport. Are you going to be involved in that? No, I won't be here. Unfortunately for that one. Uh, Did you get, not get your handle quick enough or something? What? Well, I mean, I've I've had my thrills with the car, so I think it's only fair that someone else gets to drive it at, uh, at Rensport. And obviously, we've got um, we've got a big schedule. You know, based around our race season at the moment, so um, so I won't be at that one. But uh, uh, it would be—I'll be watching the videos. Let's say uh, I'll, I'll 
I'll have speak we to the guys that drive it? Th- that era, Nick, as you look back now on the nine nineteen as a racing car, put the Evo to one side at the moment, but as you look back at the, the nine nineteen as a racing car, is you know we're not going to see cars like that for quite some time, it would seem to me, with the way the new regulations are going. I mean, it, it, that's been a golden era of, of prototype racing, hasn't it? I hope it has. You know, it's, it's difficult to say at the moment because we're kind of, you're still, we're still living that period. But mm. what I really hope is that we do look back at this, this period as a golden era and cars like the 919 and the, the R18s and the... Mm you know, the, the, the Le Mans winning Toyota and, and look back at these cars as a golden era, a bit like we did with Group C days. Yes, and, um, good analogy. You know, and, and then I can go to events like Rennsport, like the Festival of Porsche and stuff like that, maybe in, I don't know, 20, 30 years' time, and get the, the museum to roll out a 919 and I can go and, and drive the thing and, well, uh, I and say I was part of that period. I noticed Derek Bell was driving 956s and 917s in his, his dotage so there's no reason why you can't. I'll be long gone by then, mate. <laughs> I'm sure you'll still be there, mate, covering it. <laughs> I'll give it a go, mate. Nick, brilliant stuff. I thoroughly enjoyed the weekend. I enjoyed looking at the street cars. I certainly enjoyed looking at the racing cars and one of the absolute highlights was you peddling that thing round for all you're worth. Well done, mate. Good to hear. Thanks, mate. Midweek Motorsport. Halftime. And while we swap ends, here's what's coming up. Right, still to come tonight on the show, we have Declan Brennan, who'll be taking a look at the 16 contenders in the NASCAR Cup playoffs. We'll actually be more looking at the playoff system. Is it working? Does it still reward those elusive winners? Jeremy Shaw casts his eyes over the finale of the IndyCar season at Sonoma this weekend. And we'll hear from two drivers who are making their IndyCar debut. Coming up after the show tonight, a new programme as we go inside Jura at Brackley. But next, we'll be joined by Jade Edwards, who has a bit of a bad news good news story from the world of motorsport here on Midweek Motorsport. Midweek Motorsport on RadioLeMond.com. But before we even get to that bad news, good news story, nobody anywhere close to where's Tim this evening. Tim will be back on in a moment after our guests. Keep the guesses coming in at Specutainment, please. Uh, But let's go to the phone now and say good evening to Jade Edwards. Good evening, how are you? Well, I'm all right, and I think you're a bit better now, but this was a story that started off badly, Jade. Tell us about it. It, it certainly was. So, um, yeah, so most people know, if, if you follow my career or follow British Touring Cars at all, know that I do all my sponsorship through social media, and up until this point, it's gone absolutely brilliantly. Um, earlier in the year, I had a, a dramatic role live on TV, so barrel roll three times. And it gave me some extra sort of damage bills that I needed to pay for. So I made it quite public that I needed some additional sponsors. And we had a guy that did get in touch, uh, seemed very keen. He's previously, as it looked, had sponsored other drivers and other teams. So it all seemed fairly legit. So we moved forward um, and we agreed on a fairly large sum of money that would definitely see me to the end of the season and, you know, really take the pressure off um, uh, my budget stress, essentially. As it sort of continued uh, and as I became more, you know, in need of the money that he owed, I started to realise that there was lots of excuses coming, lots of lies. Um, He didn't seem as as fair as he, he once was. 
And it turns out that he's actually, you know, sold me the dream and promised me nothing in that sense. And after agreeing a large sum of money, I've actually not seen a penny of it. Well, I don't understand why anybody would do that, left you high and dry. What do they get out of it? So I think, ideally, he tries to kind of get his logo on a racing car, sell the dream in the hope that he gets maybe two or three, half a season or whatever of some publicity um, without paying any money. However, with me, it was slightly different because I asked for the logos and I asked for the formats and he never sent them through. So he never actually had a logo on a race car. So um, can you hear me? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So sorry. Um, Yeah, so he never actually had a logo on a racing car. Um, For me, it was more, I think he, he enjoyed emotionally kind of being in power and always having someone call him and ring him and text him. It was very strange. Uh, it could have been horrible. It's turned out good. What happened next? So I had probably about three weeks of the biggest stress I've ever felt in my life because not only was I disappointed for myself, I was disappointed for the sponsors that have put in so much time and effort and, and backing already. You know, I felt like I was letting them down and letting the team down. So I was trying to figure it out and I tried to back this guy sort of into a corner to try and force him to pay something at least. But turns out he never he never was going to do that. So eventually last week I announced on social media that um, this had happened, explained the whole story, was quite emotional about it. You know, I put I like to put my emotion in my post because it's personal. People understand where you're coming from. And I have to say the response has been unbelievable. Um, I've had people such as Lena Gage support it, you know, Tiff Nadell, Pippa Mann from across the water, you know, everyone's got behind it, as well as the British touring car fans who are second to none. Um, and thankfully, due to their shares, their comments, their retweets, I've managed to secure a couple more sponsors. I've also had some very strong generosity from from guys that don't want to be named, but just want to help the cause. And also current sponsors that have also chipped in some some extra money. You know, the, the support's been unreal. You've been very clear that you didn't want to go the crowdfunding route with members of the public. Why was that, Jid? So for me, um, I never want to seem ungrateful when people suggest crowdfunding or the GoFundMe pages. But I think that motorsport, in, in a way, is a privilege for someone. You know, if, if my motorsport career ended tomorrow, I'd still have food on the table. I'd still have a house to live in. I'd still have a job to go to. However crowdfunding and fund me pages are for people that maybe you know like billy munger who really needed the support financially from from us to get him back on his you know into his motor racing career and for people that maybe are ill and can't afford medical bills it's not for a privilege in life so as much as i really appreciate it you know the support from everyone it's not how i want to go about things and that's why I've launched um, my merchandise. So the caps that I'm selling that are on, you know, eBay and can collect from the circuits, that gives back. You know, they've got a cap, they're promoting my brand and every profit from that goes oh, back yeah. into my racing. So it's it's a bit of a win-win in that sense. So you're on the grid at Silverstone this weekend then. Good news. Yes, on the grid. Um, I announced it yesterday. Um, I have to say a big thanks to the championship, my race team and everyone around me. You know, without them, I, I wouldn't be on, on the grid this weekend, but I cannot wait to get going. Uh, can you manage to take your mind off all of that nonsense and get yourself focused behind the wheel now? Yeah, I mean, for me, the, the negative's already gone because the response I had yeah, shows well that for one one nasty person, 
there's a thousand lovely people. So now I'm in a very positive state of mind. I'm just going to enjoy the last two race weekends. Hopefully I can get out for Brands Hatch. Um, I even made a joke online that at Silverstone, I'm going to just stop at every corner and wave and hand out cake and stuff like that just because I'm so happy to be there. You know, it's a real positive mindset now. We're, we're looking forward to it. Wish you all the best, Jade. Wet or dry this weekend? What do you prefer at Silverstone? Um, you know, I think a driver always likes to, the confidence of a dry circuit, but the wet allows me to kind of take some chances and, and crack on. So either weather, I'm happy. I'm just on the grid. Let's go. Uh, I mean, this is an odd question to ask, maybe, given everything that's happened. But have you got any plans for next year yet? Because I know that you're always thinking ahead. Yeah, so of course, um, another year in Clio Cup would be absolutely perfect. And that's basically what I would love to aim for. However, I can't deny that the call of British touring cars themselves is kind of getting a little bit louder each season. Um, and I honestly think that if a, if a girl can go into touring cars and be competitive and have fun with it and really create a little brand, I think it would go massive. So the, the eyes are already set a little bit further ahead, but if I'm in a Clio again next year, then I'm not going to complain at all. Have we lost you entirely from endurance and GT racing now? We often see you at Dubai doing other <laughs> things and helping the team out, and we see plenty of Clios across there. Indeed, your Clio team was racing there this year. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm sort of pushing you in that direction as well. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, my love for, for GT racing and endurance racing is definitely not gone. Um, it's just for me at the moment, I have to go in the direction where the sponsors are and where the publicity is. And at that moment, it's in the Toka paddock. But I'm always at endurance races. I'm always looking for new opportunities. Um, and, you know, I've done the C1 24 hour this season. Um, they've got the Spa C1 24 hour coming up. And I know they're only little, little powered cars, but the endurance racing, the buzz of it, the atmosphere, it's not lost on me. I'll definitely be back in the future. And given that there's been so many people to help out, it's only fair that you give uh, your sponsors a, a name check, particularly the ones that have jumped in to to help out. Yes, yeah, so we've got a company called Fanatical have come on board um, and a, a tram company as well, which is a little bit random. But yeah, they're the two that have jumped on board. But also we've got a big shout out to my current sponsor, Spectra Analysis, who really triggered the kind of extra funding from everyone and really rallied around and, and got everyone together. And a little mention again to my team, um, you know, my teammates and um, team boss have all chipped in and helped where they can as well. So it's been a really, really big team effort. And if people want to find out a bit more about Jade Edwards and her racing, where do they go, Jade? So website wise, it's jade.eu.com. If that, we've got strong social media. So if you just Google Jade Edwards Racing or Jade Edwards Motorsport, you'll find all my social media pages um, and you can go from there. Keep it the right side up at Silverstone this weekend, Jade, and best of luck for brands as well. <laughs> I'll try my best. Thank you very much, John. Thanks for See coming on. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Well, great to hear a good end to what could have been an awful, awful story. It was an awful, awful story. Anyway, I hope you didn't mind me persisting there with Jade uh, with the telephone line going a little bit burbly on us, but I thought it was worth hearing. Always great to have Jade on, and we'll be cheering her on uh, from a distance at least. Watch the timing and scoring, uh, if you can, from Silverstone this weekend. Other big events this weekend. Well, it's the end of the IndyCar series at Sonoma, one of my favourite racetracks. And Jeremy Shaw 
will be joining us in a little while to discuss the points possibilities uh, on the over the weekend for the championship contenders. It's a huge race. Uh, it's also a big race for a couple of debutants in IndyCar this weekend. We'll hear from Colton Herter in a moment. But first, Pato O'Ward, who tested an IndyCar for the first time last week. So how excited is he to be making his race debut at Sonoma this weekend? I honestly couldn't be more excited for my first drive in IndyCar Series race. Uh, it's going to be my debut, and um, and I was and I was really really satisfied and happy with the testing. So I'm looking forward to the weekend. Uh, you are totally right. I honestly I'm really good for the opportunity that got presented in front of me by Harding Racing, um, and I got to drive an IndyCar a few days ago in uh, in Sonoma, and uh, and I absolutely love love the car. It is fast. Um, it is very grippy, and it's it's basically it's basically like an indie light car, just just so much faster and so much more grip. Of course, Pato has been a part of the ladder series. So, how important to his career progression has the Mazda Road to Indy been? I think it's an awesome ladder system. I think it really prepares drivers. Um, most of all, not just basically just to, you know to learn. Um, about setting up a car, learning how to work with engineers, uh, learning all those different kind of things that drivers have to go through, but it, it really helps to develop your outside skills of the race car. Um, so what if it can be media, it could be uh, communicating with the team, it could be communicating with uh, with just important people, um, and it really, really helped my, my development and as a driver and as a person. And, uh, and speaking of just the Indy light car to the Indy car, um, driving wise, it, it is very, very similar. It really, really prepared me well. Um, and it's just, just like a, just like a new car. I'm going to have to get used to the different things that the Indy car has. Um, but thanks to a lot of the things that Indy car and Maserati Indy offer, I got to, um, you know, I got basically just to play a little bit of catch up into, into someone that hasn't been um, around the road to Indy, so um, definitely a very, very big help for my for my development as a driver. This time last year, Pato was finishing a season in the IMSA Prototype Challenge by Mazda. Uh, what different perspective did that give him? Um, I I feel like um, I'm a big believer in things happen for a reason, and uh, circumstances from the end of 2016 kind of led me to the sports car path. Um, in, you know, even though the, the year didn't look as competitive, didn't look as, as challenging, um, as I would like it to be, um, I matured a lot as a driver, as uh, someone outside of the race car. Um, I learned some new things that, that I hadn't learned before, like pit stops, fuel strategy, uh, taking care of the car, uh, you know, pushing to the limit, but, you know, just giving back that little bit just to save the car, make sure that you take it home, um, and working with other people, um, basically with an operation, you know, closer to the size of what an IndyCar team is uh, than what a Maserati to Indy team is. So um, from both from both sides, from Road to Indy to Insta, I've, I've learned a lot, and i matured a lot, I feel like, as a driver, and... You know, if you would have asked me, hey, you see yourself in IndyCar tw- in, in the end of 2018, honestly, I would have told you no. Um, <laughs> the goal has always been to get to the IndyCar series. 
Um, but, you know, after this fantastic year that we had and uh, this amazing opportunity that, that Harding and, you know, Team Chevy have given me, um, I want to make the most out of it. And, and I, I couldn't be more excited for my debut, honestly. Colton Herter is the other IndyCar debutant at Sonoma this weekend. So how is he feeling? And did his IndyCar test, which was all the way back in July, give him any kind of preparation at all for what's to come? Uh, it, it seems like a century. You know, once you get a little taste of IndyCar, it's hard to go back to any other car. Uh, it's such a nice car, and I enjoyed it thoroughly. So, you know, super, super excited for this weekend, really looking forward to it. Colton is another product of the Mazda Road to Indy. Didn't win the championship, of course. That went to Pato or Ward. But does he still feel the experience was relevant? Uh, it's prepared me massively. Uh, and I think it's a great ladder system, not only for drivers, but, but for everybody involved, teams, uh, team owners, mechanics, engineers. Uh, and it's obviously proven that it's it's worked. I mean, I know many people have said it, but I think it's like 25 out of the 33 starters last year. And the Indy 500 came through the Mazda attendee. So, yeah, happy happy to put my name on that, that long list of drivers that, that went through that system, and I think it helped massively. You know, we got to race on a lot of the IndyCar weekends, and, and we got to see how the track develops over the weekend with the IndyCar rubber down and how much the track changes. So it, it's a great stepping stone, and, and, and yeah, it, it does an amazing job. So those are the two new boys to IndyCar at Sonoma this weekend. Uh, very much not a new boy. Uh, it's Jeremy Shaw who joins us now. Um, what, are their, what are their chances this weekend? Making a debut on a road course, does that help them? Does it hinder them? Pato Award and, and Colton Herter. Two, two names I think we're going to have to look forward to to the future, though, whatever happens this weekend. Uh, I think you're absolutely right, uh, John, yes, because they are they are they've had a fantastic battle for this year's Indy Lights Championship. Uh and um yeah, Pado came out on top. Colton did himself no favours when he crashed mm. three times at least in Toronto and broke a thumb and uh but but he was he was still faster. I mean he actually set a new track record, um, even with a broken thumb, which is fairly remarkable. Uh but yeah, no, I think we are gonna be hearing a lot of those two guys in the years to come. Uh, whether or not it's gonna be a, a, a hurt or a hindrance, well, you know, it's just it's awfully tough at this stage in the season when everybody's on top of their game to come in and shine at the final race of the season. So they've got to be realistic, I think, in their expectations. Just get the cars home, I suppose. Um, to- yeah, pick up some experience. I mean, yeah. but, you know, the thing is that they've got, they've got nothing to lose either of them either. So, you know, they are going to be going hell for leather. But, but I say, I think they do have to, be, you know, go into the race, not, not, not thinking, hey, I'm going to win this, and, and, and certainly making sure they don't get anybody's, in the way of anybody's championship aspirations. Well, that was going to be my next point, because the championship reaches its denouement, and either of those two getting in the way uh, will not go down very well at all. Um, what a topsy-turvy race at Portland to, to set this up um, with... Scott Dixon must have thought he'd had a win after that third corner incident to get the car home, whatever it was. Was it fourth position in the end? Uh, uh, he's still in the box seat. He's still got the championship lead, still has the advantage, but it's extra points this weekend, so anything can happen. Yeah, I mean, all his Christmases came at once at Portland. It was just amazing. I mean, he was 
if you particularly when you see his onboard video during the accident, I mean, you can see nothing. He's completely blinded by by cars first of all, and then by dust. And how he doesn't make any contact with anything is, you know, th- there's a bit of skill involved, but there's also a heck of a lot of luck. No question about that, mm. because he did. A, he certainly. It was up to him to try and avoid the cars that he could see, and he did that masterfully. And then, thankfully, nobody nobody ploughed into him either. So it was incredible. And then to see him, you know, g- getting away again, still on the lead lap, and uh, and pulling right to, to the tail of the field. He, he, th- that in itself was fairly remarkable. To come away with a top five. Yeah, fifth. Sorry, was, not was fourth. Was amazing. Yeah, yeah. yeah uh, it was it was brilliant uh, and absolutely brilliant. It just shows you, you can't keep a good man down. And it, it was a it was a great comeback. And yeah, you know, and he he actually gained some ground, even though uh, Alexander Rossi led most laps at Portland. Uh, Dixon actually made ground; he made he made up uh, three points on him. So, you know, it's go, it's all to play for this weekend. It's almost a case of who finishes ahead, as far as the championship contenders are concerned. We'll take the championship. Uh, this it's a little bit more than that because of the the point spread. But if any. Let me just have a look. Because it's double points, things are going to get a bit more complicated. Yeah, well, yes, absolutely. That's that's correct. I mean, if 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 Rossi wins, yeah, then Dixon has to has to basically finish finish second. Yes, that, that, that's what it boils down. To. If he finishes third, it's going to come down to bonus points, <sighs> of which of which there's there's two for pole. Two, uh, three for leading most laps, and one for leading a lap. Um, and so, if, if they just finish second, well, if 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 they finish, if if Rossi wins, then he's all, he's all, he's certainly led one lap. Mm. So that means Dixon has to score at least two bonus points, uh, and hope Rossi doesn't get the pole. So if Rossi wins from the pole, that's it, done and dusted. Uh, so if, it's it's sort of fairly clean from that perspective. If they tie on points, it, it, it is possible because they could both get a bonus point for leading a lap um, and not get pole and not lead the most laps. Does it go back to wins and things like that? Or it, it does, right? It does, and and in that scenario, if 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 Rossi wins, then he, then he he takes it on uh, on four wins to three, to three, yeah, uh, and and then after that it'll come down to second places, and I think Alexander would. Uh, has he had a second? Yes, he has had a second. He's had one second, right? And and Dixon hasn't. He's had. Oh, yes, he has. Yes, he has. So it's down to thirds in that case, right? Dixon's oh, had three. I'm just looking looking down my thing here now. And Dixon's had three. Rossi's had three, four. So um, so. <laughs> oh, I tell you, we don't want <laughs> yeah, him to get down right. to that. It's rock paper scissors in the back of the paddock at that point, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, exactly right. It, it really is, is. brilliant. It, uh, right, it's been a funny season, though. Oh, it's it has, been a funny it? season, John, because it's been so topsy turvy. We, we've had there's been what uh, eight eight different winners. We've had I was just checking uh, this morning. Twenty five different drivers have led laps during the season. Wow. Um, and yeah, you know, and all sorts of sort of funky stats like that you can come up with it. And and no one has had, not even a team has had a uh, a a, uh, a a distinct advantage. Certainly Honda. On the whole, has had the edge over Chevrolet, uh, and uh, I think has already clinched the manufacturers' championship. But but everything else is uh, you know is is it's it's every weekend it seems to be up for grabs. Which 
rather makes the next question obsolete, which is who goes in favourite? I suppose only because he's got the lead. It's Scott Dixon. But as we saw at Portland, depending on where you qualify, I mean, you'd think, wouldn't you, that both Rossi and Dixie will be going all out for pole position to A, get the bonus points, and B, try and be away from any mid-pack schmozzle that might happen at the first corner or going over the top in front of the uh, the Earnhardt grandstand that's sitting there. Indeed so, um, which is where I'm hoping to be, actually, oh, on envy, Sunday. Envy. Uh, I, think, I, think, I think I've got a ride up there, so I'm looking forward to that. Um, it, it's, yes, and also the fact that it is very difficult to overtake at Sonoma Raceway, so uh, track position is, is always important. Uh, if, for, for, as far as Dixon's concerned, all he needs to do, really, though, is, is keep Rossi in sight. Mm. Uh, as I said, if it's first and second, it's a slightly different story, but if it's anything other than that, then uh, all he needs to do is keep him in sight. He's within two or three places. He's 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 good to go. Is there a danger though in that that the team could be target fixated on Rossi and be, right? He's pitting, we'll pit. He's not pitting, we'll not pit. The, I mean, the, is there anybody else in in the championship hunt that could take advantage of that if those two finish down uh, down the down the order, or is it really just between those two now? Uh, the Penske pair, Will Power and, and Joseph Newgarden, they're, they're tied for third mm. at the moment. Um, and they're uh, a, a, long, a long way back. They're what, 87 points back right. um, of, of behind Dixon. So uh, if one of the wins, Dixon basically needs to finish. Right. Uh, well, actually, no, no, I think he needs to finish sort of 23rd. I'm not quite sure how many cars are entered this weekend. I'm presuming it's 25 or even 26. Um, so I think he needs to finish 23rd. Um, so as long as he doesn't, as long as he doesn't do what he did last weekend, except for the fact that he was able to keep going, yes, then 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 they shouldn't be a factor. But but certainly Penske will be going all out for the win, no question about that. And uh, and that's a track on which uh, Will Power in particular always goes well at. So that you can't count them out. Um, Rossi, no, no, Ro- Rossi. Uh, has had a, a, a stellar year um, and clearly being right in the hunt with the uh, in into the, the final round of the championship. I mean, it's not exactly win or bust for him, but in some ways he could take a few more chances, couldn't he? Yes, he really doesn't have anything to lose. You're right because he doesn't have he hasn't yet won a championship. Dix has won won several um and so you know and alexander's going to be around for a while um and you know he will be all out for the win no question i mean if he wins it he, he wins a championship it's his home race he's from northern california uh hasn't done an awful lot of racing at uh, at sonoma raceway uh, but you know he it is a track that he will have a lot of support at and he'll be looking to go out with a flourish and there's no better flourish than to, to, to clinch the championship with a win and he's been very decisive with his overtaking maneuvers on ovals uh, as well as on the road circuits is uh, jeremy you've mentioned sonoma's not the easiest place to pass um nobody's told rossi that yet though have they <laughs> no, that's true. Uh, but but at the same time, you know, he, he's he's certainly had a bit of luck on his side. Oh, yes. He's made some of these passes, and 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 either drivers have kind of acquiesced, or he's he's got away with a few really close ones. And I'm not so sure he can afford to take that many risks uh, unless it comes down to the closing stages, where you know it's it's Dixon's close behind him. He's got to make something happen. 
But it's certainly a fascinating contest, whichever way you look at it. I can't wait. Can't wait. And the series decider uh, this weekend, Sunday at Sonoma. Before I let you go, Jeremy, got to talk about Team USA. You came hot foot from uh, Road America, uh, where you'd been having the, the shootout, which took a, a slightly different form this year because you did actually have a race between the, uh, the final contenders. No, it wasn't. It was a pursuit race, uh, which is what I do every year. Actually, I always send the cars out on track at, at intervals, ah. so so we as judges can can assess how they're driving and, and how they kind of react to feedback or whatever. So it's it's a pursuit race. Uh, the, the 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 weekend is set up as as a normal race weekend. So the first session is kind of practice, where it's basically just learn the track, learn the car. Second session is qualifying. So what I'm looking for is a lap time, uh, and then the third uh, and and uh, sometimes fourth session is uh, is a couple of races where it's, it's, it's like i say it's a it's a pursuit race so they go out of the pits come around take the green flag and then in their minds uh they're mine anyhow they're racing yeah, yeah. for, for uh, 25 minutes or whatever it is and and so i'm looking there for consistency uh the the total elapsed time at the end of the race and uh, and also but you know fastest lap kind of gets a few brownie points as well so it's i'm looking for everything during the course of the of the uh, two-day program now it's really good one i mean you had some weather this year that threw a bit of a, a an extra challenge for the contenders oh boy typically just i mean uh, we got there on uh, on tuesday tuesday evening was gorgeous we had a nice track walk the guys were able to uh, literally walk around the track and uh, and a good close look at it we used a short course at road america um and and thanks to Bro- george brogenthes and everybody at road america for making that possible uh, and also by the way a big shout out to lucas oil school of racing and, and cooper tires who who provided the, the rubber for us to use there it was a great event and uh, uh but when we got there on on Wednesday morning, it was piddling down with rain, and it was the first session was sort of, it was it wasn't full wet. It was sort of, it, the rain had stopped by the time the guys went out on track, so it was drying a little bit. And there was a few sprinkles about two thirds of the way through the first session. Mm-hmm. Uh, second session was was largely was fairly dry, not completely dry, but fairly dry. And then the third session, that the race session on the first day was was fully wet. Um, so they had all sorts of conditions, but they're always on the grooved tires right and then on on thursday morning we had one more session before before we had to scoot off the airport so i could get out to uh, weather tech raceway laguna seca uh it was uh, beautifully dry crisp dry yeah. crisp Perfect. beautiful morning so they were out on on slick cooper tires for the first time and so that was a, you know an extra something else that they, they had to learn which was brilliant really so they had all sorts of yeah, all sorts of kerbals thrown at them. Uh, unfortunately, they all did a really, really good job. So <laughs> well, I was going to say you were you arrived uh, at Monterey with a furrowed brow, which can only mean <laughs> yes. one of two things: either they were all awful, which is has never been the case when I've known you and we've talked about this. There's there's always been someone that's maybe a couple that have stood out, or the other scenario is possibly even worse: they were all great. Yeah, and it was that it was the latter uh, <laughs> this last week. It, they were really, really good, and uh, and the, and the cool thing is they they all got along really well. Uh, we, we all flew in and out of Chicago, so we we shared. A, I had, I'd rented a suburban to drive them up and down, and and they were all getting along really, really well, uh, which was which was even better in, in some ways because you know I like the fact that they're they're all enthusiastic. They were asking me questions about the about the past and. 
and uh, it was it was a fun couple of days all around. So you know, good personalities amongst uh, amongst them, and and a lot of speed. Decision to be made when then, Jeremy? When are we likely to be to be hearing from that? Obviously, you've got a lot of data to crunch through, and and last weekend you were busy doing other things with us on IMSA Radio. Yeah, as soon as I get my uh, it together, basically, because <laughs> there is a lot of data to plough through. I've got uh, got most of it on my on my computer here, but I haven't had a chance yet to to look at it. I had uh, various other projects to get done yesterday, um, but uh, today I'm going to sit down and and plough through. Well, I've got some feedback already from some of the other judges. Um, we had uh, a good array of people there to to help me make the decision, and and uh, you know, next couple of days I hope to be able to. Um, Come up. So hopefully by the end of the week would be would be ideal. Ah, oh, smashing! Good stuff. Can't wait for that. Just before I let you go, and we're on Team USA. Um, one of your former winners, Brian Hurt, had joined us in the booth at uh, IMSA Radio at WeatherTech Raceway Laguna Seca. Um, I was going to say wearing his Hyundai hat. Actually, he was wearing his Hyundai Polo shirt in a very fetching shade of blue. And for those that uh, didn't hear that, shame on them, first of all, for missing that session. But really interesting what Brian was saying about the TCR category in Continental Tire, of course, looking after Hyundai in the, the USA and, and has won a championship this, this year, a manufacturer's championship at least. Well, that's right. He, he entered, he's sort of spreading his wings. He's run Global Rallycross with his, with his own team. Uh, as well, obviously, his involvement in, in uh, IndyCar racing with with uh, Andretti Autosport. He, he's run his own team in, in Global Rallycross, and uh, and this year spread his wings into Pirelli World Challenge with Hyundai. It was a, it was a factory-backed operation. Uh, the cars were super strong. Two cars for uh, for uh, Michael Lewis and uh, and uh, Wilkins. What's his, what's his first name? I've forgotten his name. Mark Wilkins. <laughs> Mark Wilkins. Former yes. champion, of course, Mark Wilkins. And and they had they had a great season. Uh, unfortunately, they were battling amongst themselves, and and Ryan Eversley snuck through and won a drivers' championship. But but uh, Hyundai and Brian Herder Autosport won the teams and uh, and drivers' championship. So it was a good, a great first season for them. And uh, he, yeah, he was on a fact finding mission. But yeah, he he likes the professionalism of the uh, of the uh, IMSA paddock, and he I spoke to him again yesterday actually. And you know, he's the deal is not done, but he's planning on on uh, certainly intending to run cars most likely in both championships next season so i think it's going to be you know a spreading of the wings for for his team and and a, and a good uh, a good stepping stone for the future and and uh, possibly a brand new shape of car as well because he was talking about maybe having a, a veloster yeah. rather than the the i30n that's uh, been run in other places yes wasn't that interesting yes. i'm not quite sure how that works so in terms of uh, your homologations and um uh, and what have you, because I would have thought that process would have had to be underway by now. Um, I, I guess, um, so long as it's got the right number of doors and the engine in the right place and the wheels in the right place, then he's fine. Um, yeah, I guess so. But then they have the, they'll have the, uh, the, the balance of performance thing, weren't they, before the start of the season? Well, hopefully before the start of the season, because this year it was kind of happening when the... Uh, the Pirelli World Challenge was getting underway, so there were all sorts of provisional weights and what have you. It was all rather weird. Uh, I I wonder whether they, because um, the the new Veloster uh, and the Veloster N, which is the their N is Hyundai's sports thing. Um, I wonder if they share uh, a platform and therefore it'll make life 
a little bit easier. Yeah. Um, I'm sure you're right. And Brian kind of he, he kind of hinted at that, didn't he? Uh, I think uh, when he spoke to us. So yes, I think that I'm pretty sure that's the case. And it's actually quite an interesting thing for the uh, the rules because I'm pretty certain that TCR rules say you can have four or five doors. Well, the Veloster does have four doors, but it's got two on one side, one on the other, and one on the back because it's one of those asymmetrical designs. So it's going to be very interesting. The streetcar looks fantastic. Uh, Jeremy, thank you very much. I'm very envious that you're in wine country uh, at the weekend. Enjoy it. I'll be sitting with some Garrett's popcorn that I picked up at Chicago because my American flight landed early and I was able to to nip down and get some Garrett's Chicago mixed popcorn. So I'll be sitting watching on Sunday and you will be hearing it and smelling it up close. Very envious. Yeah, thank you very much. Always always great to chat. Very best wishes to everybody there and to, to all the uh, Midweek Motorsport listeners. Thank you very much. Midweek Motorsport Series uh, 35, Episode 13. We haven't heard from Tim. Have you moved, Tim, since we last heard from you? I'm still in the same place. Right. Uh, nobody's getting this, please. So I want one more clue for, uh, for, okay. for where's one Tim? One final clue. There are a lot of old geezers around. Mm. Okay. So you're in a park. Earlier, you had a picnic for lunch. Yeah. Right. Uh, you were expecting to see a girl called Hannah, but she wasn't there. And there are a lot of old geezers around. Right. Yes. Uh, they're going to have to be better, better than me to uh, to work that one out. Uh, we'll have more from Tim in a moment. But first, here's Declan Brennan. Hello, Dex. Hello. That's very good. It seems that we didn't have Nick on tonight. Um we are into the race for the chase for the club for the quest for the thing. Jimmy Johnson got in. Go and look at who's got in, the drivers that's got in. Jimmy Johnson got in without winning a race. One of six drivers that you can say that about. I suppose the big question, before we even think about anything else, is the new system working? I have no idea. Well, uh, it depends on what you mean by new, because uh, effectively this is a... The, the chase stroke playoffs is now alarmingly uh, close to a decade and a half old. old are we? I think yeah. we're, it's certainly over a decade uh, in, in the. It's it's pretty remarkable when you go back and see the people. Some of the people who qualified for the first one. Uh, uh, but wasn't it supposed so, to reward winners? And you know, a third, more than a third of people who've got through have not won a race this season. Well, that's. You know, it's going to be difficult uh, uh, when basically Kyle Busch and Kevin Harvick won 13 of the 26 races. Uh, I'm not much of a mathematician Mm -hmm. stroke scientist, but I'm uh, aware that that would be uh, precisely 50% of the... Good for you. (laughs) Uh, Yes. 13 of the 26 races won by Kyle Busch, or by people called Kyle Busch or Kevin Harvick. Uh, And after that, of the remaining 13, Martin Truex one four and then they're they're shared out uh you know uh, equally amongst not all of the 16 people uh, is there a better way dex is there a better uh, way is I, there another sport that we could look to that perhaps well, provides a better I'll example that, i'll get to that in a second because I, I don't know the answer i will say one of the things that jumps out at you and and smashes you across the face with its handbag is uh <laughs> is is uh is uh, the fact that if you could look at the laps led during the season, uh, 
Carl Bush uh, and Kevin Harvick both in the thousands. Kevin Harvick led the most with 1,220. Wow. Uh, then, naturally, four race wins. Martin Truex led with 700 and, uh, 706 laps. So we, that's pretty substantive. And then there's other guys who, re, uh, you know, led quite a few. You get to Kyle Larson in 12th, who didn't win a race and led 666 laps. He led an awful, more than any other driver. Who didn't win. Uh, who, uh, yeah, uh, who won a race even, oh, really? uh, other oh, really? than the, the top three. So Well, you would say you only have to lead one lap, of course, to make it um, make it important. Um, well, I was going to say, Kevin Harvick would then, if his laps led had been uh, seven to go with his race, race wins, I would have said he is the world's greatest <laughs> uh, exponent of, uh, of quality control, insofar as he's only... He's doing exactly the the least he meant to do to achieve the optimum result. So, uh, but that's not the case. But so, you know, Kyle Larson put himself in this position with pretty astonishing consistency. You know, eight top fives, 14 top tens. But, uh, you know, for example, Chase Elliott did the same thing. Eight top fives, 14 top tens. But he threw in a road course win at Watkins Glen, but only led a third of the amount of laps. So, there's so many ways with 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 the hegemony that we we are seeing uh, amongst the best teams winning all the races effectively uh 16 pl- people getting in and we talked about this during the season irrespective of of how much you weighted towards winning races you can point you will always in this format points race your way in because there simply is not going to be that many winners uh, you know, there'll be a chunk like Jimmy Johnson. Nothing about Jimmy Johnson's 15th place finish in the standings would give you any indication that he has any chance at all. He led 29 laps all season. He had two top fives. And yet there he is in a position maybe to catch lightning in a bottle. And he can do that because because the format is uh, multiple races long. It's not. Uh, not like a, it's, we don't go into an absolute do or die situation like you do in in all other playoff formats. You know whether it's the NBA or the NHL, or and this is what they're trying to emulate. You don't have that because uh, because you're 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 now going into uh, into a series of races where yes, you can be eliminated, but it's not going to be in race one, for example. Uh, you know. Uh, it, it, you have a handful of races bef- before we get a, a cut down to to uh, to twelve and then eight and four drivers. So it, it's to to answer the question. I have no idea. I do, do I think it works? Probably not as anticipated, because we have still left the door open for somebody who doesn't win a race to win the uh, yeah. It's unlikely, but it's absolutely possible. And therefore, have we produced a real proper playoff system? Probably not. Uh, and that was my beef on this from the start, was that they they developed it to counter a problem of, of uh, dominant drivers in a season not be given the chance or winning at the end of the season uh, you know guys can they're trying to eliminate the guys who do have or were consistent across the season but you look through the guys who've made the playoffs right now and and uh it really does reward consistency like from kyle larson and put it this way you win you get into the next next playoff spot automatically with a win uh so 
the next three races are Vegas, Richmond, and Charlotte. Yeah. Uh, you have multiple winners. If somebody wins two of those three, yes. you're still getting in through consistency yes. because you're only losing four drivers. And then the same goes for Dover. And Talladega you know, puts you in that crazy position where the, when we get to the 12, uh, so as the, effectively the round of 12, the second round of the playoffs, and they throw in, in the middle of that, they throw in the craziness of Talladega. Talladega, which is which is which can be a lottery. So going back to my other question, then, is there another sport that we could look to that would perchance provide a better mo- uh, model? If it's not knockout, straight knockout, because it's not the same, is it? It's not like one man v another man, one tennis player versus another player, one team versus another team, Serena Williams versus someone else. It, you know, it, it's you can't do that because there's there's 41 other people on the track. No, but but I think the PGA Tour has has actually got a smarter, uh, very similar in some respects. In fact, in, in some respects, perfectly analogous analogous. Uh, format to, to the playoffs. The FedEx Cup has 125. Basically, uh, the first round, of, there's four rounds in the FedEx Cup. It's the playoffs. It finishes with the Tour Championship. But going back to the first round, basically, uh, they have moved their finale of their season uh, to as early as they can uh, in the year. That makes sense after the majors and before play, uh, the NFL gets really on their way, and, so you could, and they you, will tell you that is they've done it to to some extent to stay out of the NFL's way. And you're scoring points all season to get in, Dex. So there is you a, are. You, so it's similar to rankings, the cup. You're right. You've got 125 players. Uh, you've got your basically your points rankings all season through the, all of the PGA tournaments. Uh, you start the first round with 125 players. That gets reduced to uh, 100, then 70, then 30. The last oh, yeah. race is 30. So you're eliminating, right, yeah. but, but but the beauty is, what you're not doing is you're not eliminating. Uh, uh, you know, somebody can play. I'll give you an example. Uh, Hideki Matsuyama, who was 76th at the start of the ser- series, has played his way into the last 30 players at the Tour Championship. Wow. The likelihood of him winning is pretty minimal, uh, based on the way the points work. But he's got there. It's given him a shot. He's and it's it's a condensed. It's four rounds. This playoff system don't forget is uh, is 10 rounds it's 10 races so in the cup uh, yeah it, it's too many you know uh, uh, i i love the way the fedex cup does it i love the way it, it's it, it, there's a much heavier emphasis on wins and in fact what they've done is what they're planning to do is to a- avoid any confusion and their plan is uh starting next year and they're still discussing it is to seed the people uh yeah uh, at the end, so by winning the final tour event gives you the most chance of winning the FedEx Cup overall. Oh, I like that. And therefore, and they like that because we have this amazing situation with uh, with the playoffs, where and we've talked about this before, where you could literally have a situation where the four guys get in mm. at the end, and uh, there's a big accident and all four are taken out, <laughs> and then it's a race to get, and it won't happen. But literally, it's a it's race like, to get out the pits. It's a bizarre version of the finale of the Winston Cup of the Piston Cup in the in the movie Cars. So, I I love the the FedEx system. Go and have a look at it in a bit more detail. But it basically, uh, yes, uh, winning helps, but solid performance helps. But then the focus is on really, really winning and and really playing well 
uh, in a condensed period at the end of the year. You can still this. I just don't feel we have enough of that within the new system where. Yeah. Let's and we'll address this. Let's come back to this and because th this is my my complaint is that that's the biggest flaw. The biggest flaw in the whole system is what it was uh, 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 created to address. It's still there. Yes. So let's see how things go. So when you when you come on to ask me, which you inevitably will in a moment, who will make the last four? Mm -hmm. uh, I would suggest it is likely to be uh, Harvick, Bush, and Truex Jr. And, and then somebody Team somebody. Yeah, I think it could be a Larson or a Johnson could right. make their way in. Yeah, um, the, the, we're going to run over tonight, by the way, because we've got quite a lot to put into the, the end of the show and, and quite a lot of a sad news uh, as well this evening. You'll have been keeping up with that, I'm sure. Uh, but we've also got some, if you stay with us right to the end, because we've got a bonus programme coming up as we go inside Jura at Brackley, uh, which is really good. I've thoroughly enjoyed my uh, roam around there. Um, a couple of weeks, of course, so stay tuned for a, a brand new inside story uh, coming up. Um, Dex, I, I just um, let's have one quick quick thought on this then. I mean, does it affect then what happens to the television numbers, for example, at the end of the year? Could that make, I mean, ostensibly, you could just chase round the guys who you're racing against and your overall that's the thing that gets me about the last 10 races. 10 races, remember. You're really just looking at the guys you're racing against. You, yeah. the, you don't have to worry. And that's a, that's a you know, as you go through, that's an ever-decreasing margin of people that you have yeah. to worry. So you just, like I was saying to Jeremy earlier on, is there a danger with, with Rossi and Dixie that there's target uh, fixation in one race where there's double points? But this is 10 races, man. Yeah, 10 races and... and I think uh, to use the FedEx Cup analogy again, like uh, uh, where it should be, I think they need to do it a different way where it's a smaller number of races. And even, even I know this is kind of a ghastly thought, but where you, you are chopping down the entire field and reducing it to maybe, uh, how about the idea, for example, of turning this on its head and changing the playoffs round to, to, to reflect the FedEx Cup where you get to the last race at Homestead and you only have the top 16 runners in, mm -hmm. you know, uh, how about something like that? Like, uh, just one thing to, to, to obviously to, to mention is the fact that uh, Charlotte... Well, how about, well, nowadays we have stage racing. So why don't you make it that the first stage in all of the last 10 races um, is uh, is just for the, the, the guys who are still in it? Yeah. And then everybody yeah, else know, joins absolutely. in on the same lap. I don't know. And but don't forget, by the way, Charlotte. Uh, Charlotte coming up uh, in the first section is on the road course. Yes, first time ever. So that is also a wild card. Mm -hmm. uh, and and uh, you know there there are guys in here who, who clearly know what they're doing on on uh, in road racing. Uh, and it's but the thing is, Declan, and we'll close on this because we're running very short of time tonight for what we've got to get in. Um, the big thing is, it still hasn't done what it meant to do because Dale Earnhardt Jr. is still not in in the playoffs. <laughs> no hang on sorry news just coming in sorry just coming in yes yes uh there has been uh it's a, got a wild a, card uh, yeah uh, oh, uh, believe me that's next wild, wild cards. cards will be next next year it'll be 15 and and there'll be a, somehow they'll they'll work out how to have a wild card weekend to get players like you know they might even do that how about how about if we did that again this might actually be fun 15 in and then the next the next 16 race off in a wild card race. 
and the winner gets in. Like the, the pre-races to Daytona? Yes. Okay, I'm in for that. I'm in for that. <laughs> You'll still be so, watching uh, like I will, though. So whatever well, else. And the, the pervert in me uh, <laughs> wants, wants uh, I'll take that as you will, uh, wants uh, somebody like Larson or Johnson to somehow get all the way and win this without winning a race. All right, yes, because you are weird like that. Dex, thanks for joining us tonight. Great thoughts. And uh, I'll see you at Road Atlanta in a few weeks' time. Yes, you will. Right, before we leave tonight, let's get Tim Gray back. And surprisingly, Tim, we've had a few answers uh, for this. I said MacArthur Park earlier on, and a n- number of place people have said that, but you said no, because there was no cake and it wasn't raining. A um, couple of... A green icing wasn't melting down. No, indeed not. And uh, the... Uh, a couple of people have said Battery Park. Battery Park in New York. Are you in New York? I'm not in New York, no. Right. Um, somebody who's been very convoluted. Where was? Oh, I can't find that. Now, said, are you in Regent's Park? I don't even know where we've got that from. Regent's Reg- Park in London? Yes. I could have been to the zoo. Yes. Yeah. But, but are there a lot of old geezers around? I don't know. Um, and... I think significantly, now that I've thought about it, one of our correspondents on At Specutainment asked how you were spelling geezers. Isn't that uh, appropriate? Yes, mm. it's uh, geezers, G-E-Y-S-E-R-S. Shall I give the answer? Yes, go on. Uh, one uh, very famous geezer here is uh, Old Faithful. Mm-hmm. Uh, my picnic basket wasn't stolen by Yogi Bear. Or Yogi uh, Bear. I am in... Or indeed, Yogi Berra, who is uh, uh, probably not in the position no. to uh, steal picnic baskets. Well, neither is Yogi Berra, as he's a cartoon character, in fairness. And that didn't stop the Rangers uh, chasing after him all the time. Good point. Uh, I am in Yellowstone National Park. Well, where was the, what was the Hannah then? Was that Hannah Barbera? Hannah Montana. Hannah Montana. Oh, I didn't get that. Didn't get that at all. Um, let's finish off the programme. We've got uh, some sad news to to come um well actually this next story is uh, a bit of a shocker for me because we've uh, we've we've got news of a, a retirement what about charlie lamb yes carl charlie lamb uh schnitzer bmw of course uh, he's been around forever and a day and he's i, I think I'm, i saw this uh, somewhere um the other day He's about to retire from motorsport, um, which I I find amazing. I mean, he's been around, I don't know, but he's he's been around for longer than I've been in the the pit lane. He's retiring from uh, Schnitzer, uh, team BMW team Schnitzer, uh, and handing over management duties to Herbert Schnitzer Jr. 40 years near enough um, he says uh, he's 63 motorsport sport has been his life since he was 17 not much time for a private light I felt it was right for the team and myself to take the step um, BMW Motorsport fully uh, supporting the uh, the decision and I mean he's been he's been everywhere 12 hour race in Bathurst GT World Final in Macau, Le Mans 24 hours, 24 hours at the Nürburgring, um, IMSA competition, 
I remember the, the BMWs out there that they ran, um, obviously the Le Mans wins. You were at Portland a couple of weeks ago, and I've got a Portland story, which I've told many times, but I'm going to tell it again because, uh, because Charlie is always known as Charlie, by the way, never Carl, but always known as Charlie around the, uh, the pit lane. I, I was summoned to the BMW trailer in the paddock. Uh, Charlie wants to see you, John. Oh, I, mean, I, we hadn't, I hadn't been racing in the States, covering the races in the States for too long at that time. So all the way there, I was walking there thinking, oh, no, 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 I'm going to get told off for something. What have I done? Did I call the car the wrong name? Have I upset somebody? Go in, sit there with Charlie, shuts the door. Shut the door, hanged off. Okay, shut the door, sit down. I said, right, what can I help you with? He says, oh, nothing. I just fancy to chat. We never seem to see each other anymore. Have a cup of coffee. Always had a coffee machine. So a good cup of coffee. And we had a chat and just chewed the cud about various things in, in sports car racing. And uh, I think it was when they were coming to the end, Tim, of, of their run in uh, in ALMS IMSA in those days. And he was saying how much he would miss it he was going on to DTM and sprint racing um, but he said and this is the quote I always use from Charlie when people ask me about endurance racing he says there's only two there are only two types of people in the world those who understand and enjoy endurance racing and particular 24 hour racing and those that don't and I'm delighted that I'm surrounded by the people who are in the first category. That was what Charlie said about endurance racing. It is a mindset. He loved it. He was an important part of it. An absolute gentleman in every sense of that word. Gentleman and gentleman. Strategy par excellence. Knew how to look after it. Knows how to look after his drivers. I wish him all the best in his retirement. And uh, hopefully we'll bump into him at some place in the near future and stick a mic under his nose for a bit of a, a long one. Uh, the best, I mean, you could quote his, his record, but I think it's just his mindset, and that story absolutely underlines his mindset. A uh, couple of d- other departures, um, sadly more permanent ones, um, before the end of the programme, and a couple of big names in motorsport who've died recently, Tim. Uh, yes, first of all, Don Painos, who died in the early hours of yesterday morning. He was 83. The son of an Italian immigrant, who was also a boxing champion, Painos grew up in West Virginia and, after serving in the army, went into the pharmaceutical industry, setting up companies in both the US and Ireland. It was his son, Dan, who first got him into motorsport, though, when he formed Panos Auto Development in 1989 company making luxury sports cars on a small scale within eight years the panels most sports organization was formed and was racing at the le mans 24 hours which is where i met him of course um he's touched so many people's lives tim um that's not where the motorsports uh the motorsport association ended because he didn't just go into motorsport as a as a competitor and an entrant he got the bug and he got the le mans bug completely Indeed, and John, it was after Le Mans in 1998 uh, that you had a telephone call from him one evening. Yeah, it, it was. Uh, 1997, I think, it was 1996 or 97 was the first uh, Pianos years at Le Mans. And on a Sunday night out of nowhere, I, I got a phone call from uh, a gentleman called Joe Widensall on 
Dr. Tons, and everybody called him Dr. Tun. I always used to call him Mr. Pianos, and he refused to answer to that. If I said Mr. Pianos, he would just turn away and say, oh, you know what I've told you. Um, one of uh, Dr. Tun's uh, entourage, uh, Joe Widensall, was putting together what would become the American Le Mans series radio web, and he said, honestly, Don Pianos has asked me to give you a ring. He wants you guys to come uh, to a race in October. It's called Little Le Mans, Petit Le Mans, and can you do it? Can you broadcast it? We might need you to build this website thing for the for the series as well. And basically, that's where my American Odyssey started. If it hadn't been for, for Don Paynos and for Joe Widensall making that call. Oh, by the way, I thought it was somebody winding me up. I was at Joe Bradley's house in Sunderland. We're about to sit down and watch an IndyCar race because Joe was the only one of us who had satellite TV in those days. And I actually asked for a phone number in the States to ring back on the Monday because I, on a Sunday night at that time, uh, I honestly thought someone was calling, I did have a mobile phone in those days, I honestly thought someone was winding me up. Um, however, it wasn't a wind-up. We went to the first ever Petit Le Mans, um, which was um, in, I think it was the 11th of October, 1998. Uh, somebody can bring me up on that. So barely, you know, a month away from where we are right now. And... Uh, you know, the rest is history as far as I'm concerned. There are, if you watch endurance racing, whether it's Le Mans, European Le Mans series, IMSA racing, um, you all, or you work in it now, actually, as a driver, a team member, or anything to do with it, or a journalist, you owe Don Pianos a, a debt of gratitude because it is absolutely undoubted in my mind that without Don's investment in time, uh, not an insignificant amount of dollars, millions and millions of dollars he handed over to the ACO um, for the ability to use the Le Mans name in the States and and then promoted it. I mean, let's not forget those first years of the ALMS team. There was no World Championship of sports cars then. Didn't need to be. The ALMS was the World Championship. It was an extraordinary place to be and the atmosphere was outstanding in the paddock and, and IMSA's getting back to that now in fact it, it's pretty much back to that kind of atmosphere and confidence that was there in the, the early years he coined the phrase for the fans which became not just a slogan on the t-shirts or on the marketing literature it was a mantra it was the way everything was done and a lot of people still hark back to those days and it's actually not the worst thing to do as a mission statement. It was magnificent. But for all of us who work in the endurance industry now, whether you've been in it for 20 years, as I have since the beginning, or whether you've just come to it, you owe Dr. Don a debt because without his intervention, I don't think sports cars globally would be where they are today. That's a big statement, but I stand by it. And his infectious enthusiasm, coupled with sound business practice and a what do you mean I can't do it that way kind of attitude no I'm doing it that way you only have to look at these cars to realize that he never went with convention um, he formed strong bonds between the US and the ACO um, which had been lacking prior to that and the adversarial relationship that had existed was gone with Don Pianos and the ACO and it was an extraordinary thing to be a part of. And really, he's changed a lot of people's lives just in that paddock. Remarkable bloke. Absolutely remarkable bloke. Had the, the pleasure of, of doing a special interview uh, with him 
uh, a couple of years ago at the Panos Road Car Factory um, for the 20th running of Petit Le Mans. And uh, he just great and li- lived his life to the full, no doubt about that. And regardless of all of his other achievements, and there were many, the, sp- the sports car, the endurance racing, indeed motorsport as a whole, uh, they, they owed him a huge debt of gratitude. And earlier on, we spoke to Johnny O'Connell, who raced for Don Paynos in three of those early Le Mans attempts. You know, I first met Don at Sebring, I want to say it was 97, and uh, gave him a hard time, you know, my being a redhead an Irish, I, I could have been his son. And uh, I beat him up relentlessly, calling him every two weeks until I, I finally did get hired. You know, really super nice guy and, uh, you know, very, very positive uh, because there was no stone left unturned in trying to win. But always very positive, innovative, you know, again, trying to go different directions with things, but always a pleasant guy. You know, and, and it was funny because, you know, <laughs> man, you'd always have, you know, when you, you get him alone, He'd always have a corny joke or something, you know, to, to share with you. You know, I, I, just a pleasant to be, pleasure to be around. And, uh, you know, you wish you could, you know, have had his crystal ball to have lived the life that, that he lived and that, you know, again, he's the forefront of so many things. Take, for example, the hybrid car, Sparky. Think about how innovative that was at the time. I mean, the, the, the guy was extraordinary. If you can point to an individual that was the savior of sports car racing. And I'm not just speaking in the States, but I, I, I honestly believe globally he's, he's the guy, you know, I mean, I was racing in IMSA in 96. I want to say they called it professional sports car racing back then. It had fallen, you know, so far from where it was in the early nineties and uh, couldn't get a foothold, but the races would still get people, but the, the competitors were lacking. But it was interesting because around that time, there was a, there was a group of five, you know, pretty wealthy guys that, uh, that were going to try to, you know, buy professional sports car racing from a guy named Andy Evans, who owned it at the time. And then out of nowhere comes this guy, you know, <laughs> that doesn't, man, the guy was a dreamer. He's the, he's the original, if you build it, they will come, you know, type guy. But comes in and is like, this is easy to fix. I can fix this. We've just got to make an association with Lamar. Don immediately picked up not just the spectacle that was Lamar, but also, you know, the worldwide presence and importance of that race, which is why, you know, I think he so uh, diligently pursued the relationship that, that he had with the ACL. And, uh, and, and everybody thought, oh, here comes another rich guy coming in. He was a guy that if you told him no, that was, that was just motivation to prove, to prove you wrong, whether it be the front-engine cars, the front-engine, you know, the, the GT1 car or, or the, the LMP car. You know, Don was all about showing people, no, you're wrong, I'm right. And, uh, and lo and behold, you know, he, 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 he starts buying circuits. You know, he forms his association with IMSA uh, and the ACO and creates the American Le Mans series. And, and boom, out of nowhere – he, he created a platform that not just to drivers, but to manufacturers, to fans, you know, uh, became, in my mind, what was, you know, probably the, the, the glory days of sports car racing. None of that happens without the vision and commitment uh, of Don. Maybe it's because he got into the sport so late that he didn't have any preconceived, you know, ideas or notions as to how things should be done. I mean, when we all start, we all start at the lower levels. Well, he just jumped in both feet big time. 
and uh, but with a very open mind and and perhaps the, that's one of the reasons for his success in the in the business world and 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 real estate and all that kind of stuff is that he wasn't afraid you know he wasn't afraid and uh so there's some huge people in the industry you know both in Europe you know in the states there's giants like Penske and Ganassi and you know you could you know the Andrettis of course you know uh but as far as somebody, boy, changing the direction of the sport, it's very hard to come up with somebody that uh, had his capabilities. He, he literally did, in, in my mind, and, you know, saved the sport. And think about, you know, just his, his commitment provided, you know, livelihoods for so many people, not the people that work for Panos. There's, there's tons of them. But, you know, goofball drivers like me, you know, your top Europeans, you know, back, I can go through the list of hundreds of ALMS guys, you know, that, uh, that their careers existed because Don Panos created something special. Sad to say, though, Tim, that's not the only significant death in motorsport uh, over the last seven days. On Saturday, it was announced that Barry Williams had died. Williams was arguably the most prolific racer in British motorsport over half a century. Even he couldn't remember how many races he'd started. He began by doing hill climbs, then moved into karting. His father, a former TT rider for Sunbeam, had started a business building carts called Faster Kart. Customers included Brian Redman and Nigel Mansell. But Barry, who by this time had completed an engineering apprenticeship with David Brown, found it impossible to work with his father and went rallying instead. His first international rally was in 1964. He had been reluctant to enter in his Cooper S, but somehow won. Andrew Marriott's rally report the following week had the headline, Who is this whiz kid from Wales? He wasn't from Wales, he was from Hereford. The nickname Wizzo stuck, though, from then on. He moved into touring cars, racing the British Touring Car Championship and becoming champion in both the Renault 5 and Ford Fiesta Sport races. Uh, he raced in Formula 3 and sports cars, and endurance racing became his love. He never got to Le Mans, but took wins at Silverstone and in the Paul Ricard four hours. And in 1995, he won the Spa six hours in two different classes, as well as overall. A talented driver, he was also known for entertaining the crowd. He was voted driver of the day at the 1975 British Grand Prix meeting. He'd only taken part in the saloon car support race, but took the check and holiday in Barbados, much to the annoyance of F1 winner Emerson Fittipaldi. In later years, he was a stalwart of the classic scene, where he continued to win, as well as being a proud member of the BRDC and president of the British Motorsport Marshals Club. He was 79. Our condolences, thoughts and prayers to the families of Dr Don Penos and Barry Williams, not just their blood relatives, but all those whose lives they affected, and that's a very long list of people indeed. Good night. This programme is a Radio Show Limited production. Tell your friends there's more at RadioLeMond.com.